from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Happy to be here with you on this Tuesday morning, September 19th. Hope everybody is doing well. I cannot believe we're two days away from officially calling fall fall. It's going to be autumn time very soon, folks. I can't believe that that is where we're at, but that is where we are at. We are almost into the fall, and Syracuse is going to be into their fourth game of the season before we hit the fall, which is crazy to think because football is a fall sport, yet Syracuse has been having some pretty nice weather, been nice weather kind of all around for the most part, you know, outside of the storm and some things that have gone on down south, the weather has been pretty darn beautiful, and I can tell you that the weather down south is beautiful today. And, you know, I know that Syracuse has been having some unseasonably warm weather, which no Syracuse person is going to complain about in any way, shape, or form because you could have the latter. You know, normally when Italian Fest is going on, it's 12 degrees outside. This time around, with Italian Fest going on, you know, you could go out there and wear shorts and relax and and have a good time. So hopefully you had fun out there at Italian Fest or whatever you were doing for the past few days. Hopefully you enjoyed it, you had a good time, and I'm happy to have you here on the broadcast on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT and on WakeUpCallDT.com at your one-stop sports shop. I appreciate you being here on the show with me and taking some time with me. So thank you for coming here today and every day. truly appreciate it. And on this broadcast, I am more than elated to tell you that, as in every Tuesday of the football season, here on the show, we will start off the show with On the Prowl with Jacksonville Jaguars Talk. And because this was a home game down here in Jacksonville, I have the opportunity to bring you interviews with numerous players of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I am extremely honored at the opportunity to share these with you. So today, as you know, for those of you that listened in last week, every single Tuesday broadcast weekly of Wake Up Call with Dan Satora will be dedicated, unless something huge happens that we got to get to, it'll be dedicated to the Jacksonville Jaguars on the prowl and coverage of the entire NFL the morning after. So right after Monday Night Football, you can come right here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, and we will be discussing from wall-to-wall coverage of the NFL every single Tuesday throughout the season, and it will start off with, on the prowl, coverage of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and in days like today with home games that I was out to, one-on-one conversations with the Jacksonville Jaguars that you will not find anywhere else. And those will proudly be brought to you here on the show today in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is the home of the Dan Tortora Special, Belgian waffle cut in half, filled with a bacon, egg, and cheese omelet. It is 
something that is absolutely amazing. My spin on the breakfast sandwich, there is nothing like it out there, folks. And if anybody tries to copy it, you know, imitation is the highest form of flattery, but you cannot duplicate in any way, shape, or form what we do at the Market Diner. And that is thanks to Tony and BC, as well as Elaine and BC and the entire team that I want to thank for all the work that they do at the Market Diner. And uh, Johnny said, here we go. Good morning. Good morning to you, too. Good morning to everybody that's on the line. Gusser and company. Good morning to all, each and every single one of you. I know that you are NFL fans. I know that you're excited. I know that you are ready. I know that you are pumped. And you can listen into Wake Up Call, as many of you do, every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on MixLR.com backslash DT. And if you haven't become a member yet, you're missing out. Because membership gets you a live chat room opportunity. Every single time the show goes live, you can chat with me in the live chat room. And on top of that, you'll get emailed every single time the show goes live. So you will never miss a live broadcast. You'll always know what's going on and you'll always have an opportunity to connect with the show. And you'll hear about it before anybody else gets to it. So make sure that you join me on MixLR.com backslash DT And don't waste a second in making sure that you sign up so that you don't miss any of the shows or anything going on. Definitely appreciate you coming on to the show and being a part of the show today. I am very, very, very excited to be bringing you my first player interviews of the 2017-18 season with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that is something that I cannot wait to share with you on today's show. In the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner, I will be featuring Jacksonville Jaguars conversations with defensive tackle Malik Jackson, tight end Mercedes Lewis, cornerback A.J. Bowie, Defensive end, Calais Campbell. Wide receiver, Marquise Lee. Defensive end, Yannick Nagakwe. Strong safety, Barry Church. And left tackle, Cam Robinson. All eight of those players will be featured on today's show. All of them are direct conversations between them and myself from the locker room following their week two loss to the Tennessee Titans. From there, we will look at the entire rest of the NFL. And I am more than elated to do so with you. So good morning, good day, and thank you for tuning in to Wake Up Call with Dan Satora here on Tuesday, September 19th, to start off with On the Prowl, my signature segment with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And after that, total wall-to-wall NFL coverage of every single matchup this week two that just finished up last night when, as I had previously predicted, the Detroit Lions took down the New York Giants at home in New York. And MetLife Stadium, well, technically New Jersey, took down the Giants. So, let's get into everything. we got to start it off by going on the prowl right here and exclusively here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Lurking in the shadows is a predator unlike any other. Cities all over the nation, be on alert. This predator doesn't slow down. It doesn't take a break. It's always on the prowl. Joining you on the prowl to talk Jacksonville Jaguars is Dan Tatora. J-A-G-U-A-R-A. 
we are officially in my Jaguar segment. We are officially on the prowl. And here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, we are going to get started with my conversation with Mr. Malik Jackson. Malik Jackson's the guy who let me try on his Super Bowl ring. First Super Bowl ring I ever wore. And I had the opportunity to do that last season. We were sitting down, and we were in the locker room. I was interviewing him, and he said, sit down, take a load off, relax. Pulled up a chair, had me sit there, and we were sitting there talking. I'm sitting in one of the Jaguars leather chairs that has their logo put right into it. Very comfortable chairs. And, uh, and we're sitting there talking, and he takes out his Super Bowl ring, and I said, can I take a picture of it? And he dropped it in my hand. He goes, go ahead and try it on. I said, what do you mean? I was like, this is your... He said, you ain't going anywhere. Go ahead and try it on. And I put that ring on, and it took up half my middle finger. And, and I have big hands. <laughs> so it's not that I have small hands. I have big hands. And it still took up like half my finger. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ring. And uh, I tried to run. I didn't get far. No, I'm just kidding. But Malik Jackson was very, very nice to allow me to try it on and to spend some time talking with him about it. So, with that being said, we're going to discuss with Malik Jackson, speaking of talking, how do you look back on a game like this versus the Titans? This is what Malik Jackson had to say about how he looks back on a game like this that just got out of hand for the Jacksonville Jaguars. How you look back and you learn. They came out there, they uh, did, a, did some good things. Uh, we just got to watch the tape, see what they did good, see what that we did wrong, and see that we could... Uh, See where we can change the things that we that we can control and go there and fix them, and that's all we can do. When you look back at the first game and ten sacks for the team in that first game last year, there's only or a season ago there was only 33 sacks in total, and there was 10 in the first game. Just what you can say about what this game, why it was so different that you weren't able to get to the quarterback the way you wanted to. <laughs> you guys keep living in the past, talking about last week. We moved on to a new week. This is a new offensive line, new situation, new uh, new deal. They came out there, they had a game plan, they did it. And uh, that's just on us to figure things out and get to the quarterback faster. So that's all it is. When you look at plays like those made by Telvin Smith, just what you can say about the positives that you can take away despite the loss. <laughs> like I said, we did some good things, we did some bad things. We went out there and made plays. We got to make sure we... Uh, uh, hold on in the third, fourth quarter to give our offense a chance to go out there and score more points. That's all it really is. That coming once again from Malik Jackson, Super Bowl champion with the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC South in his second season with Jacksonville, coming from the Denver Broncos and coming from what it feels like to hoist up a trophy, and he did it with Peyton Manning and company, Demarius Thomas, Akeem Talib, so on and so forth, a phenomenal Denver Broncos team and a phenomenal Denver Broncos defense they had there, Von Miller and, and so on, with Malik Jackson. So Malik Jackson knows what it takes to win. He brought some sacks to Jacksonville, and he's hoping to do much, much more. He was not happy with this. Obviously, you heard his responses and saying, you know, you, you guys, which he was referring to the media, uh, want to live in the past. I always tell him, don't group me in with us guys, because I don't know what them guys said, but this is me. So he said, you know, people in the past, uh, or people want to live in the past, they want to live in what they did, they're just looking at the present, they're looking at the future, they're looking at how they can get this thing corrected and move forward. Also speaking on that, we'll go to the offensive side of the ball, is tight end Mercedes Lewis is no stranger to the show. What he's taking away offensively from the Titans game. Now... Jacksonville did not get into the end zone until late in the game. 
And then their second touchdown, they rolled in. At that point, it almost felt like the Titans weren't pushing at 100%. The game was 37-16 in favor of the Tennessee Titans. And the offense that the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to get going was a touchdown with 7 minutes and 12 seconds left. And then a touchdown with 2 minutes and 11 seconds when the game was 37-9. So, Leonard Fournette and Alan Hearns got in the end zone in the fourth quarter. But the Titans shut them out all the way up until that point. So this is what Mercedes Lewis says he could take away offensively from the game. Uh, I just think the turnovers hurt us. I mean, obviously in this league you can't turn the ball over. You turn the ball over, you know, I think, well, we had three. Three turnovers. You turn the ball over that many times. You're just fighting up an uphill battle at that point. It's tough to do anything when you have turnovers. So uh, I had to watch the film and see, you know what I mean? And it says really what it was, but preliminary, before I get to the film, I said the turnovers hurt us bad. Mark Sleeve talked about Nate Hackett as the OC. He said he's going to get it right, and hopefully he'll open up this playbook a little bit more and let you guys go. Just what you can say about what you've taken away from Nate at this point. Uh, I mean, Nate's going to do his job. He does a good job. Um, you know, obviously, normally from week one to week two are, you know, some of the biggest uh, inconsistencies show up. You know what I mean? So we'll learn from this and get better. I mean, that's all you can really do. Just learn from it and get better. Uh, you know, it's a long season, and, uh, you know, it's not a loss, it's a lesson. You're either winning or you're, you're, either winning or you're learning a lesson. So we'll learn a lesson from this. And the lesson that you take forward from this, as far as learning this lesson and having the next man up approach, just what you can say about how this offense has learned to deal with the unfortunate injuries that have happened early to this team this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously we can't control that. One thing we can do is, you know, keep pushing forward and guys step up and, you know, get better from this point. That's really it. That coming from Mercedes Lewis. Mercedes Lewis, longtime tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Still being utilized, still a big body out there for Jacksonville. And somebody who has seen Jacksonville be successful, seen Jacksonville get on a run, seen them have moments, and then also gone through the hardships of when the Jaguars are just sputtering. So he's seen it all in Jacksonville, and so he's definitely a great person to speak with, and I always appreciate taking some time with Mercedes Lewis because of the fact that, you know, he knows what he's doing. He honestly, he knows what he's doing, and this team, the record, doesn't show how hard these guys work. It really doesn't, and Mercedes Lewis is one of those guys that goes out there, punches his time card, gives it everything he's got, and for and good, bad, or indifferent, this man gives his all. He's stuck it out with the Jaguars. He's one of the longest tenured players with the Jaguars, and I believe that he'll retire a Jaguar. So, you know, to somebody like Mercedes Lewis, I definitely appreciate his perspective because this team has struggled and it's had some successes, and he's been there for it all. And he's been there through numerous coaches. I mean, when you go back to Mercedes Lewis's career with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I feel like he's been there forever. But when you go back and you look at Mercedes Lewis, he's been in the NFL for 12, this is his 12th season. Every one of those seasons has been spent with the Jaguars. So you go all the way back to 2006, right? And he's played in 15 or 16 games in all but three of his seasons. So the majority of the time he's out there. 
He has gotten experience in the postseason as well with the Jaguars in 2007. So Mercedes Lewis, I mean, he's been through Mike Malarkey, obviously Doug Marone now, Gus Bradley. You look, you look at everything that Mercedes Lewis has had to weather in Jacksonville, and it is absolutely insane. I mean, when you look at the Jaguars' coaching history, and you look back at the coaches that the Jaguars have had, he had time with Jack Del Rio, he had time with Gus Bradley, Mike Malarkey, now Doug Marone, and he's continued to weather this storm, and I give him a lot of credit for hanging through with the Jaguars with all of this adversity and trying to find the positives, trying to find the silver lining, trying to move forward in the best way that he can. I have a lot of respect for him because he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on this team. He doesn't give up on this franchise. He continues to hope for the best. And what else can you ask from somebody who is a professional? And he doesn't make excuses. So shout out to Mercedes Lewis for all that he has done that hasn't shown up in the win-loss column, but has definitely made an impression on me about the type of person he is. No, but I mean, 12 years now with the Jaguars, including this season. Over a decade of trying to navigate through this. Cornerback A.J. Bowie is new to the team, coming from the Houston Texans. He defeated his old team in week one of the season, 29-7. And we spoke first and foremost on what he sees over the first two weeks with this team. Um, you know, I felt we should have not been really focusing on what happened week one. Um, I'm not saying that we did, and then we came out strong the first half. We only held them to six points. We left some plays out there, but we played strong even when we uh, we were starting on the 50-yard line or starting in the red zone with some of the turnovers and sudden change, and I felt we capitalized on it in the first half. Second half was a whole different team, um, and, you know, from an individual standpoint, for me, I should have uh, made a better play on the deep ball, but uh, you just live and you learn from it. We shouldn't be putting our uh, defense out there in those situations. And we just got to play sound ball and just learn from it. Over 30 minutes before either team scored a touchdown, just what you can say about once they did start getting into the end zone, I mean, they were just doing it back to back to back. I mean, what was it about the second half that changed things so much that you kept them out of the end zone and then they were able to get in and then repeat that just a few minutes later? Uh, I believe field position, I, I feel like no team will really be able to draw the ball, you know, 80 yards. And I think. I don't know if we were tired or what. I don't know what it was, but we left some plays out there. We got to tackle better. I know I got to tackle better, and we're going to learn from it. We should have been able to get turnovers. We didn't capitalize on the turnovers this week like we did last week, so we wasn't able to put our offense in a good spot. So uh, there's no point in fingers. At the end of the day, we have to go out there and compete, and I felt we competed, but we just had to be able to make plays. What can you say about the D-line? Because obviously the 10 sacks in, in week one helps out a lot with them getting pressure. Just how you know that ebb and flow was in this game? Um, I felt, you know, they came out first half strong. Uh, we, we had some sacks in the first half. We played tight coverage in the back end. And I think in the second half, they just knew it was a close game. And on the other end, they just decided they was just going to stick to the run. And, you know, when you're starting past the 50, uh, with sudden change, it's going to be tough. And we got a bow up like we did the first half. And I felt like we didn't do that. When you look at a game like this, what does Coach say coming out of this one when Doug Marone walks into the room? What are the words that kind of last with you? We got to learn from the tape. At the end of the day, we can't dwell on what happened week one. 
Um, everybody's going to have something to say, especially after this game. A lot of people probably already counted this out, but I mean, it's it's the NFL. It's it's what 14 more games. I mean, even while I was in Houston, games like this happened, and we still was able. I remember starting out two and five, getting blowed out. Um, and we came back and we made it to the playoffs. I mean, we just have to learn from it. So, what was it about? When you were at Houston, how did the team take those two and five moments and turn it around? Was it just not focusing on the week before, looking at the tape moving forward? I mean, yeah, what, were, just, what was the just, ingredient? Just not not focusing on the negativity, um, you know, the outside noise. People going to say what they're going to say. We can't control what they say. Uh, all we can do is learn from the tape, and all I can do is just uh, focus on, you know, the good plays, but also focus on the bad plays and learn from them. And that's one thing I'm going to do, and I know that we're all going to do it, especially on the defensive end. Uh, no pointing fingers. We all got to stay together. So. Playing with guys like Jalen as well as Barry and, and company inside of the secondary, just what you can say you've been taken away from the other guys here and just what the dynamic's like in the secondary. Uh, we've been making a lot of plays. That's one thing I would say. We've been getting off on third down. Um, we just got to do it the whole four quarters, especially me. Like I said, I made a lot of plays first half, uh, third quarter, and then, you know, it just kept going downhill from there. I got to stay locked in, especially me. So. Uh, I'm, I'll learn from it, come out stronger next week. That's the plan. But one thing about it, especially in the back end, I know that we competed. Uh, that's one thing for sure. We didn't give up even whatever happened. We was all flying to the ball. Everything wasn't perfect, but we didn't uh, give up. That coming once again from A.J. Bowie on the Jacksonville Jaguars secondary. A secondary that allowed Marcus Mariota to go 15 of 27 for 215 yards, one touchdown, one interception. So really, honestly, not that bad for what they did. They The leading receiver for the Titans was Delaney Walker with 61 yards on four catches. They held Rashard Matthews to 43 yards. Eric Decker, despite feeling like he caught every pass out there on the field, only had three catches for 32 yards. Corey Davis, the rookie and top five pick, had one catch for four yards. So, in all honesty, yeah, the Jaguars lost, but again, as so many times I've seen happen at home over last season spilling into this season, the Jaguars' defense gives opportunities, the offense doesn't score the ball. Jaguars' defense didn't play a bad game in this one. And you look back at the numbers, and you look back at what the receivers were held to, the Jaguars' defense really did not, I mean, you look at the secondary with A.J. Bowie, they didn't have a bad game. The offense just didn't score the ball. Coming up next is Calais Campbell, coming from the Arizona Cardinals. Another one of those vets that the Jaguars spent money on, believing that he could turn this thing around. And we start our conversation with, what was the tale of two halves to him? What was the difference from the first to the second half versus the Titans at home? It was a 6-3 to three halftime game. What changed in the mind of Calais Campbell? Uh, you know, they made a few more plays in the second half, you know. It's... Um you know, uh, momentum game, and they got momentum on their side, and you know, uh, capitalize on our mistakes. When you look at those mistakes, a lot of your teammates said that, like turnovers are turnovers, and you're not going to win when you have multiple turnovers. I mean, is that the biggest thing that's on your mind moving forward in this one? Oh no, uh, my mind, uh, you know, is I know that you can't really know what happened until you go out there and grade the tape. You know, a lot of a lot of bad stuff happened. You know, a lot of good stuff happened. At the end of the day, you know, you grade the tape and you uh, try to make those corrections and. You know, let that carry over to next week. When you look at the carryover from week to week, you guys had 10 sacks in the first week, and obviously you created pressure in this week as well at times. Just what you can say about this defensive line and just what the makeup is of this defensive line moving forward. Yeah, you know, um, 
D-line's a good D-line. You know, we're young, we're hungry. You know, uh, I think, you know, when we get the proper situations, we're going to really excel. You know, I mean, I think, when, you know, if we, when we get, uh, you know, I mean, they want to drop back and just throw, you know, straight, you know, five-on-five-on protection, we're going to make a lot of plays. But, you know, when they're, you know, when they're chipping and, and double-teaming and, you know, uh, play-action, it's, it's a little harder to rush your passing. It's just the name of the game. That's why they do it, you know. And uh, I think, uh, you know, we got to find a way to, you know, shut down the run. I don't know what the stats were. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, they ran the ball better than we wanted them to. You know, they got into the end zone, you know, uh, better than we wanted to. I mean, we got to find a way to get stops down in the red zone and hold the three points. You know, early on we did that, you know, uh, but after a while they found a way to get in there. And, uh, you know, we watched the tape, figure out what they were doing, and, you know, use that going forward to, you know, allow us to become a better team. Todd Wash, just what you can say about him as a defensive coordinator and, and what you've been taking away from his leadership at this point. He's a, he's a great coordinator. You know, uh, you know, uh, it leads by example. You know, and uh, we f- we follow him. We believe in him. You know, uh, he's he's a guy that um, um, you know is aggressive. You know, style like. You know, and uh, you know, I think he's gonna you know find a way to you know get us in position to be uh, successful next week. When you look at this D line and, and guys like Malik Jackson who have won a Super Bowl and young guys like Dante Fowler, yeah. just what you can say about what you're learning and taking away from each other, kind of playing off of each other's games at this point. Yeah, you know uh, the biggest thing is that we're all you know we're still new, we're still getting a feel for each other, still learning, you know. And um, the one good thing that's to come from this is you know we learn how we're going to respond in adversity. You know um, when adversity hits, you know you learn about a lot about uh, you know who you are as a team, you know what your character is. And, um, you know, we're going to find out about ourselves here next week. That coming from Campbell, obviously seeing some positives with the team. Wants to go back and look at that film, which obviously they have done over uh, yesterday into today to try and correct things, get right, get ready, and move forward. The Jacksonville Jaguars trying to find a way. I mean, they, they did what they needed to do against the team that's been winning the division for forever and a day in the, in the uh, Houston Texans game. And then falling to the Tennessee Titans, you go back and you look at the tape, and a lot of it is offense. A lot of it is offense, and, you know, it's response to the rushing attack. You have to look at how the team responded to the rushing attack. The Jacksonville Jaguars on that D-line and beyond allowed 179 yards on the ground, 5 yards per rush. They allowed Derrick Henry into the end zone. DeMarco Murray didn't have a great day. Marcus Mariota, when you look at the numbers at the end of the game, it doesn't show you how the game was played. Marcus Mariota looked like he could run whenever he wanted to. DeMarco Murray, 9 carries for 25 yards. You'd feel he had more. David Fluellen, Taiwan Taylor, Jelston Fowler, the fullback, DeMarco Murray, Derrick Henry, everybody got to run the ball. Everybody ran the ball well in the second half of this game. They got to do what they wanted to do. They took advantage of the Jaguars. And when you look at it, 6-3 to three at halftime, and then all of a sudden in the third quarter, two touchdowns on the ground scored by the Tennessee Titans within less than four minutes of one, of one another that blew this game open 23-3. to three. Game was 9-3 to three with 9 minutes and 24 seconds left in the third quarter. Then... Less than three minutes later, Derrick Henry gets a touchdown. Less than four minutes later, Delaney Walker gets a touchdown. Fourth quarter, Jonu Smith gets a, gets a touchdown pass from Marcus Mariota to make it 30-3. to When it rains, it pours. When the Jaguars finally open the floodgates to the rushing attack and to the Tennessee Titans in general, once they open the door to the Titans into the end zone, that door never shut. 
After that first touchdown by Derrick Henry, you see another one, then another one, and then later on after Leonard Fournette, Justin Fowler takes down the Jaguars even farther down, 37-9 at that time. So the Jaguars, a last-ditch effort to try and get something done. Leonard Fournette gets in the end zone. Jelston Fowler scores right after that and blocks out the Jaguars from doing anything. This Jaguars defense held strong for a long time, but they were on the field for a long time, and people cannot underestimate that. When, a, your de- when you make your defense sit there on the field for a very, very long stretch of time, when they're out there the majority of the time, more than you are, that's going to cause, no matter how good of a player you are, it's going to cause fatigue. It's going to cause their, t- I mean, there's a higher probability to make mistakes the more chances you get, right? If you're playing pool, and let's say you, you, you play three games of pool and you win two out of, two out of three games, if you play 12 games, there's a chance you're going to lose a third, fourth, fifth time, potentially. There's a chance you won't, obviously, but the more games you play, your record could go down, right? You win two out of three games, you're at 67%. That percentage inevitably could go down the more games you play. So the more times the Jaguars' defense was out there, the probability of more mistakes, the probability of a play getting through gets higher and higher and higher you got to keep your defense off the field. you got to have long drives sustained by your offense where you can lean on a bunch of different players, lean on your quarterback, lean on your offensive line to take time off the clock, to move the ball down the field, and to ultimately score the ball. The Jaguars did not give their defense much time to break. And eventually, ironically... The defense broke by allowing touchdowns in. You don't give a team you don't give your defense a break, eventually they break. No matter how good they are. Going back to the offensive side of the ball, looking at what he saw in this game as he's become really the, the number one guy on the offense when it comes to wide receivers with the injury to Allen Robinson. What was it about these two halves that was so different to you? This is Marquise Lee's take from his vantage point. Penalties. For us as an offense, it's just hella mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like, yeah, defense is going to be great. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you got an offensive coordinator do get pays over there, so they're going to adjust. And, of course, something's going to start working, which it did in the second half. But at the end of the day, we got to make sure we control our side of the ball and uh, prevent them. Uh, just got to prevent the, the penalties. I think that's what really affected us. I mean, the tip balls and stuff, yeah, that affects us too on the turnovers. But I feel like within two of those turnovers, the defense did what they supposed to do as far as getting us the ball back. So it didn't really matter, man. It's just the penalties at the end of the day. We just got to control and make sure we don't have them anymore. When you have this offensive coordinator in Nate Hackett, I mean, he filled in toward the end of last season. But what can you say now that this is his offense this year coming into this season and moving forward? What can you say about him as an offensive coordinator? Uh, He's going to find out. He's going to figure it out. I mean, I feel like a lot of people, you know, saying stuff about certain things and here and other, but I feel like he'll open up the playbook and we're going to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Um, but at the end of the day, it goes back to, you know, regardless of what he calls. You know, if we get a, a penalty, what he calls don't matter anymore. You know what I'm saying? We're killing ourselves. And that's the biggest thing that we got to focus on is trying not to kill ourselves. I don't know how many penalties we had out there, but I feel like every time we got to the red zone and moving forward, we found a way to move ourselves back.
The next man up approach, obviously you've had some injuries in the receiver core. Just what you can say about your leadership moving forward and some of the guys that you feel have stepped up at this point. I mean, we know what we got to do. You know, 1-5 was a big loss for us, so everybody know we got to pick it up as far as a, as a whole and pick up the slack just for him. You know, and that's me, AB, 84, and Hearns. Um, we understand it, so at the end of the day, we're going to put the pressure on ourselves to get everything done as far as receiver call. And what can you say about Fournette and how he's opened this up a little bit, what he's been for this team as opposed to what you had last year? Um, great player, man. Um, a lot of people focus on him, so he's opening up for us a lot. Um, we just got to go out there and just compete a little bit more. You know, I feel like uh, he's the type of person who should get in 100 yards a game. And that's, that's just me being honest. You know what I'm saying? So uh, just got to go like, and focus, make sure we uh, – take care of our assignments and blocks so he can get the opportunity to get them money our games every game. That coming from Marquise Lee once again and you know making statements like you know this is the coaches get paid to do what they need to do the offensive coordinator gets paid you're hearing that from the players offensive coordinator gets paid to do what they're supposed to do defensive coordinator gets paid to do what they're supposed to do so we got to get this right and the team's got to get together and figure things out sooner than Later, Marquise Lee in this game finished the contest with seven catches for 76 yards, respectable. Did not get into the end zone, though. Really not targeted that much around that area. And Alan Hearns did have a touchdown, but it was in garbage time at the end of the game with two minutes and 11 seconds left. He had six catches for 82 yards to lead the team from the receiving core. Coming up next here on the Prowl with the Jacksonville Jaguars, my one-on-one conversations with the Jags right here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. You want to hear from the Jacksonville Jaguars, this is the place to go. And Jacksonville Jaguars coverage to start off every Tuesday broadcast throughout the season in this signature segment of Wake Up Call entitled On the Prowl. On the Prowl with the Jacksonville Jaguars every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. I thank you so much for listening in. And in these opportunities that I get to speak with the players throughout the season, you get to hear these interviews one-on-one with the NFL players that are on the Jacksonville Jaguars squad. I want to thank them all. Coming from all over the country, all different teams, the opportunity that Jacksonville gives to speak with these players is much appreciated. And my nine seasons, this now being my ninth year of covering the Jaguars, I want to thank the organization from the bottom of my heart for giving me an opportunity to cover a stand-up organization, an NFL team, and a bunch of guys that are working their absolute tails off. And guys like Mercedes Lewis that I've gotten to be around for a while. I want to thank each and every one of the Jaguars that I've spoken with. The ones that I look forward to speaking with. And I want to thank the organization. I know the wins have not come the way that they wanted to. Or as much as they want them to. But I look forward to the day where the Jaguars organization gets to pop champagne. Because the people that work within this and the players that work within this and the coaches that I know that are working within this and Tom Coughlin finally getting to speak with him, I have the utmost respect for the organization and I hope nothing but the best for their future because they have worked very diligently and very, 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 very tenaciously to get to a good place. And so I want to thank the players for working as hard as they do. And even after a loss, spending a few minutes with me when I know it's a hard thing to talk about. 
who wants to talk about losing. And these guys have been phenomenal and were phenomenal this week. Coming up next is Yannick Nagakwe, defensive end of the Jacksonville Jaguars, starting our conversation with Yannick about what was so different from week one's victory to week two's loss. What was so different with the Jacksonville Jaguars, in his opinion, from what they look like in week one to what they look like in week two? Uh, we just got to, you know, build. We got to make sure we uh, mesh as a team all three phases, special teams, defensively, and offensively, man, to get those opportunities again. Some of those opportunities that you feel like you created, especially with that interception with Telvin Smith early on, just what you can say about finishing those opportunities as a team? Yeah, man, we just got to finish. Uh, go back tomorrow, watch the film, clean everything up, and fix it from there. We got Baltimore coming up. What did Coach have to say after a game like this? What were kind of his words moving forward? Just keep working. Keep working. We got to come back tomorrow on the drawing board and fix everything. When you look at the defensive play through these first couple games and some of those, obviously, opportunities that you've given, not just in this game but in the one before, just what you can say about how far along the defense has come since last season. Uh, it came along a long way, just the uh, communication and uh, the way we bond everything is just different, and I just feel like uh, that's going to take us a, a long way. Keeping the same D.C., how much did that help you, having the same coach there for the defense? Uh, how much it helped me? It helped me a lot. I got a personal, uh, a lot of respect and a lot of love for Coach Walsh, so it was just a blessing for him to be able to stay. And as you go forward, like you said, you're going to spend a little bit of time on this and, and go forward in this. Yeah, what does this say about That's how you got to do in the league. You got you to wash it away, wash out the loss, and you got to focus on the next week. And you just got to learn from your mistakes and make sure you don't make them again. Yannick Nagakwe, once again, somebody on the team who has brought a spark to the Jacksonville Jaguars since coming on to the roster in this game, which is this is only his second season. Uh, Yannick Nagakwe had a tackle in the game, was not utilized as much, but Yannick Nagakwe in his second season out of Maryland, he was a third-round pick by the Jaguars, 69th overall. When we go back and look at his stats, Yannick Nagakwe in all 16 games for the Jaguars last season had 22 combo tackles, 19 tackles that he had on his own, three assisted, 22 altogether. He had eight sacks as a rookie defensive end with the Jaguars, four false forced fumbles, one interception, two passes defended. And in this season through two games, he has five tackles altogether, two sacks, two forced fumbles, and one of those a fumble recovery. So think about that. As a rookie, he had eight sacks and four forced fumbles. He's already got two sacks in the first two games of the season and two forced fumbles. He's halfway to his four forced fumbles of last year with 14 games to play. And he's got to get six more sacks in the next 14 games to equal what he did as a rookie. Talk about getting started, getting charged up a little bit earlier than he has been as a rookie. A lot of credit to him, and nice numbers as a rookie, but he's looking to not only eclipse those, but charge well past the numbers that he got as a rookie, Yannick Nagakwe. And coming up next, this is a guy I wanted to talk to for a while, former strong safety for the Dallas Cowboys, now a safety for the Jacksonville Jaguars. One of the nicest people to speak with, and probably the greatest person to talk to after a loss, because the man had a smile, you know, I don't want to say a smile on his face in a loss, but he was pleasant, he was, he was pleasant, he was concise, he was focused, he was professional. You know, I think having him in the locker room can really help the Jaguars. 
when they go through moments like this, and even when they go through victories. So I spoke with Barry Church first and foremost about his immediate takeaways from this game before going and looking at the tape. Well, it's kind of hard to tell, but you know, my immediate uh, take on this game is as a defense and as a whole, we gotta find a way to make more plays as far as taking the ball away. Um, you know, we're gonna adjust to the, you know, the runs and the passes, and we're gonna make adjustments on those and correct those mistakes. But as a defense as a whole, I feel like we gotta. I'm sorry about that. We gotta. Um, figure out a way to take the ball away, figure out a way to get our offense uh, in good field position, and uh, we will. We will do that. The first half, it was just trading field goals, and the defense was making a stance, your defense as well as theirs. What, what was different in the second half that they were able to get in the end zone, in your opinion? Um, it's kind of tough to pinpoint. I feel like, um, you know, there's a couple just – just plays that we got to make out there. I mean, you know, they were able to run the ball a little bit better in the second half, and that kind of opened up the passing lane. So, um, as a whole, I feel like we got to we just got to do better on both facets, run and the pass. And uh, if we can do that, I mean, which we can. We got a great defense here, and uh, got a long season ahead of us. So we'll get in that film room, make those adjustments, and uh, come out next week ready to play. What makes this defense great, in your opinion? Um, just the just the willpower of every man on this team. I feel like you know we got a lot of speed out there. We got people who can cover against the pass, and we got rushers who can you know rush the rush the passer, as we saw last week. So uh, we just got to put that all together. I mean, back to back weeks. You know, we don't want to be inconsistent and have a great week one week and then next week, you know, not so good. So you know, good teams are consistent, and um, I feel like if we want to be the team that we, we believe we can be, we just got to be more consistent. You being a vet coming in here and Malik Jackson coming in here last season having won a Super Bowl, I mean, you guys have seen success on your team. So what can you do as vets to try and, you know, give some wisdom at this point? Uh, we just got to instill that um, that winning mentality. Um, like you said, Malik's been to the Super Bowl, he's won a Super Bowl, and I've been a part of a lot of playoff teams. So as a whole, we just got to instill. we got a lot of young players on this team. So we just got to instill that winning mentality and let them know, you know, what it takes to win. And um, so far, they, you know, every, all the young cats, they've been willing to do whatever it takes to win. And um, today, you know, we just, we just we lost. We got beat, you know, beat pretty bad today. So what winning teams do, they look at the film, make adjustments, and uh, get after it next week in ball. So um, hopefully we can do that. When you look at this secondary with yourself, AJ, Jalen, and company, just what you can say about you had a hard hit out there. I mean, obviously you want to, make this a different defense than what people are used to in Jacksonville. What have you done to make this defense be that more tenacious defense, hard-hitting defense? Just what you can say about changing the culture. Uh, we just got, because um, last year, I mean, they had the number, I think, two passing defense in the league last year, so um, we just got to make sure as myself, when I come in, I just got to be, be able to make more plays, and, you know, be able to um, you know, be that leader on and off the field and make plays on the field, and uh, today, like you said, I had a couple tackles here and there, but that's not good enough. You know, we got to take the ball away somehow, some way, and uh, I feel like we'll be able to do that you know we just gotta um, we just gotta get better at it and it takes a little bit of time but you know, I mean the season's not too long so we gotta gotta kick it into gear but we'll come back next week bounce back and um, hopefully get back to that football we know that coming from Barry Church saying hey we got to get it together we got to figure it out but the season isn't that long that is a vet mentality and that is a strong mentality to sit not to say we got 14 games left to get this right but to say there's not much of the season left. We got 14 games. That's not a long time. We got to figure it out. We got to correct it. We got to make it happen. We have to instill a winning mentality in Jacksonville. And, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. And covering the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Syracuse Orange, which to me, I, I'm very confident that I could be the only person in America doing that or anywhere in the world. And if there's another one out there, one of two. There's a lot of parallels between the Jaguars 
and the Syracuse Orange football program. Installing, creating, implementing, believing in a winning mentality is something Syracuse doesn't have but needs to have. It's something Jacksonville doesn't have but needs to have. Both of these teams are trying to learn how to win. Now you say, well, Dan, how do you learn how to I mean, everybody wants to win. Yeah, everybody wants to win. But when teams lose and 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 lose, it becomes normalcy. It becomes something you are used to. It becomes something that some players at times become complacent with. They start to just, you know, yeah, I want to win every game. But if I lose, what's the difference? If I lose, I'm still coming here tomorrow. If I lose, I'm still the starting receiver. If I lose, I'm used to it. Right? People that you say are a glutton for punishment, they're not a glutton for punishment always, but they're used to it. They're used to losing. Barry Church is trying to change that mentality, change that dynamic. And somebody who is working his tail off to try and change that dynamic is a rookie, not a vet, a rookie who's been trying to get this team together, trying to get this team to work as one, trying to get this team to elevate itself above what they were before he got there. And that is coming from Cam Robinson. Cam Robinson, somebody who comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars as a second-round pick, 34th overall by the Jaguars. They got Leonard Fournette, then they spun around and got Cam Robinson in the top of the second-round offensive tackle out of Alabama. Talk about a player who knows how to win coming from Bama. Cam Robinson and I had an opportunity to speak after the Week 2 game. And this rookie starting left tackle who could become that blindside blind side leader for the quarterback at Jacksonville that they have been yearning for for years upon years. Cam Robinson could be one of those guys that we could see a decade from now still wearing Jaguars teal and gold and still protecting the quarterback and one of the best left tackles in the country. We start our conversation with what he took away immediately after this game from offensive opportunities that sputtered against the Titans. And as soon as you hear from Cam Robinson, we'll take a fast break and we'll spin back around with wall-to-wall coverage of the NFL. Um, I think all in all, we, you know, we just got to play better ultimately. Um, you know, I had a couple, couple big plays, you know, chip balls, interceptions that, you know, we kind of, we, we just, I think ultimately we just got to play better. Man. What was it about this game that saw a different team than in that previous game against Houston? Uh, I don't know if it was a different team. I just think turnovers more so kind of killed us. Uh, a lot of penalties, um, a lot of mental errors, man. It's just stuff that, you know, we we can't get corrected and stuff that, you know, we will get corrected. Is this a game where you feel that Jacksonville beat Jacksonville more so than Tennessee beat Jacksonville? I mean, that's out to those guys. We never take a win away from those guys and what, you know, what they were able to do, but we definitely feel like, you know, we, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot, you know, with some turnovers and some, you know, some penalties. So. When you look at the opportunities that the defense helped set up, including that early interception by Telvin, just what you can say about how the defense has been playing for the fir- for the first couple games so I mean, far. They've been playing lights out. It's our job to come out there and match, match what, 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 the, what they're bringing to the table. So um, next week we just got to do a better job of, do, of doing it. And despite the loss, just what you can say about these first couple games blocking for a guy like Leonard Fournette and just what he's done. Um, we got to win, man. So, I mean, despite the loss, it's fine and everything. But at the end of the day, we got to win. 
What does coach say after a game like this? What did you take away from coach's message after this game? And I think, you know, the message that we got was, you know, turnovers, you know, kind of, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot, shot ourselves in the foot with those and, you know, the penalties. But, uh, like I said, ultimately, we, we know we're not having making excuses or here to make excuses or anything. Um, at the end of the day, we just got to come, we got we to, you know, pull those out. I know you've only had a couple games with the team, but what you could say about Blake as a leader on the offense and how you've seen him respond to a game like this? I mean, he's a great leader. Uh, you know, he's a great leader for our offense. Um, uh, you know, I think it's up to us, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, just protect him and keep him clean and just go out there and let him do what he does. This is a wake-up call, fast break. Hey, Wake Up Call listeners, this is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formalware. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your events, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. How about a morning, how about a way to start the morning for us today, huh? How about a beautiful, wonderful way to start a morning here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora? Joined by wide receiver Marquise Lee, tight end Mercedes Lewis, left tackle Cam Robinson, defensive end Yannick Nagakwe, defensive tackle Malik Jackson, defensive end Clace Campbell, strong safety Barry Church, and cornerback A.J. Bowie. How about a way to start a Tuesday, a way to start a week, folks? Thank you to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I love, love going on the prowl 
with you every that's a prowl it's such a hard world word and every time i say it i want to do the jaguars growl every time i do it the one that you hear in the intro the you know <laughs> on the prowl very 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 excited love this signature segment i created it a few years ago and i just you know it's it's focusing in on the jacksonville jaguars it's a team that i've covered for nine years i feel very honored and privileged to have the opportunity to speak with the jaguars for the past nine years to have those opportunities set forth and many of them to uh you know speaking with guys all throughout guys that are with the team still guys that are new to the team rookies you know, and the thing is, when you cover one NFL team, you kind of cover them all. Because you could go into the locker room of the visiting team and, of course, cover them when they come into the building. But at the same time, not just with doing that, you know, you're covering guys on the Jaguars that next year might be a Texan, a Cowboy, a Bengal, a Jet, a Saint, and so on and so forth. So, I am very, very, very honored to bring you on the prowl. So, put it in the calendar. Set it and mark it. Wake Up Call with Dan Satora is live every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the live feed, mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Set every Tuesday, 9 a.m. reminder on the prowl, Jacksonville Jaguars. And right after that, NFL wall-to-wall coverage. Tuesday is dedicated to the NFL. It starts with the Jaguars. And it ends up with every single one of the teams in action. And sometimes if a team's on bye week and something's going down, we'll talk about that too. So God bless and thank you for listening. And I am more than elated to see on Twitter this morning that the name of my show, Wake Up Call, as well as God is God, were both trending on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you, God, for having just really cool little messages that you send my way. I appreciate it. And I thank you tremendously for it. With that being said, in the morning menu proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny USA, it is now time to get into wall-to-wall NFL coverage. We covered the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you can read the story that I wrote on the Right Now page of wakeupcalldt.com. Right Now is a play on words. It's W-R-I-T-E, now. Because I wrote it, and you can read it, at any time at your leisure. So right now is right now for anybody. It's right now after the game. It's right now this morning on a Tuesday. So make sure you go and read my Jacksonville Jaguars story to get a full game story of what happened in the contest against the Titans. And I want to thank all eight of the Jacksonville Jaguars that joined me on the prowl this morning. With that being said, let's get into Houston and Cincinnati. Cincinnati's offense is atrocious, okay? They have a lot of talent, but it's not working. And you have to ask yourself the question, how long will A.J. McCarron stay on the bench? In my opinion, A.J. McCarron is a starting quarterback in the NFL. And he's on the bench in Cincinnati. He's been behind Andy Dalton since he was drafted as a rookie. And I'm wondering when Cincinnati will use him as trade bait. Trade bait to... Get a better defensive player. Trade bait to, I don't know, I mean, you got to do something with Cincinnati. The team is two weeks into the season, but boy, are they ever struggling. Cincinnati Bengals have not scored a touchdown in eight quarters. 
They lost to Houston 13-9. The only reason why Houston won that game, because Houston played terrible, the only reason why Houston won the game is because they were playing Cincinnati. The thing that's even more telling is that Cincinnati lost both of these games and did not score a touchdown in any of these games at home. They were in Cincinnati. They weren't on the road struggling. They weren't in a volatile environment struggling. They were at home in front of their fans struggling. This looks like the Cincinnati Bengals team of when I was in third grade with Mrs. Kuno. And Mrs. Kuno said to us, if the Bengals win, we won't have homework. And the Bengals never won. Hence why she made the deal with us as students. Bengals won two to four games a year. Which means I had homework almost every freaking night. And if Mrs. Kuno's out there doing it to the kids again, the children strap it in because it's going to be a long season. And there's going to be a lot of extra credit going on. Because homework is going to become a <laughs> it's going to become synonymous with your household. It is crazy to me how Cincinnati has played to start this season. It is atrocious to me to see how Cincinnati has started this season. But this is where we are. Now, I told you going into this year that A.J. Green was not a top 10 or a top 5 wide receiver. Mike Sofka and I discussed it. He disagreed with me. I told him my reasons. I said, you want to hope that Joe Mixon can be the difference and be the leader in the running back core because the Jeremy Hill slash Giovanni Bernard test has not worked for a long time. The Jaguars have, or the Jaguars, the Bengals have failed that test numerous times. So, A.J. Green's success is contingent on a running game, contingent on somebody coming out of there as a leader and having a guy who's going to carry the majority of the load. It has to be a system in the backfield that is consistently working to take pressure off the passing game. And in order to take pressure off the passing game far further is to have a number two. Marvin Jones Jr. was hoped to be the number two. He wasn't. There has not been a significant number two guy, a consistent number two guy in Cincinnati to help A.J. Green. You want to think, you want to hope that John Ross, the rookie, can do it. But he was out the first week, injured. The second week, he did little to nothing. John Ross's numbers as an NFL player are as follows. In two games, and obviously, like I said, he was injured in one of them. In two games, he has ran the ball once for 12 yards, fumbled the ball, and lost the fumble. He has not received one pass at all. John Ross, the rookie out of Washington, first round pick, ninth overall, was injured coming into the season, played one game, had one rush for 12 yards, fumbled the ball, lost the fumble, and did not receive a single pass. A.J. Green has had the help of Alex Erickson, Tyler Eifert, who's been healthy, Brandon LaFell, and then Bernard Mixon and Hill are all involved in the passing and the rushing game. A.J. Green, over the first two games of this season, has five catches for 67 yards and five catches for 74 yards. 
That's it. As I said before, you cannot judge a player based on their talent alone. Some players are going to make it happen no matter where they go, and they're the enigma. They are the unexpected. They are the minority. The majority of players, no matter how talented they are, need, yearn for, desire someone to give them a break. Somebody to command enough attention on the other side of the field in the receiving situation like it is for A.J. Green to create opportunities. A.J. Green does not have the help that he needs. He has not had it through the first two games. I'm not saying that he can't. I'm not saying that he won't. And I'm not saying that John Ross can't be. I'm saying that it hasn't happened yet. And you're looking at the Bengals where they are. I did not draft A.J. Green in any one of the five leagues I run in the wake of Call Fantasy Challenge. Four powered by the Wildcat Sports Pub on 3680 Milton Avenue in Camillus in the Home Depot Plaza, which is the only place you should be going to watch the games. And in general, throughout the week, the food is phenomenal. And I love it. And it's kid-friendly. And the bar is great. And the people are great. And I love working with Danny Tome. It's been a great, great first couple months here for us. And I look forward to me saying it's been a great five years for us down the road. So, I didn't draft A.J. Green once because of this. I didn't think the Cincinnati Bengals were not going to score a touchdown in the first two weeks. I didn't think the Cincinnati Bengals were going to be this bad in the first two weeks. So don't get it twisted. I don't think, it, I don't think a lot of people saw this. But I didn't draft A.J. Green because I wanted to see what these Cincinnati Bengals could do to help him. And I knew I was going to lose out on him. Nobody's going to leave him undrafted. But he's not a top 10, top 5 wide receiver. Because when the team falters, look at him. Maurice Jones-Drew, a few years back, had 1,600 yards on, a, on an atrocious Jacksonville Jaguars team that had a not-so-great offensive line. Some players can just do it. But in the case of A.J. Green, I don't believe that he could just do it. Because he hasn't. He hasn't stayed completely healthy. And he gets lost in the shuffle. Well, Dan, look at, look at how talented he is. But is it consistent? That's what I care about. And Cincinnati is consistently inconsistent. And I thought that drafting Joe Mixon was going to help their running back situation. And it seems like it's only made it worse in the first two weeks. Moving on to the Sunday games, looking at Arizona, and, and by the way, I picked Houston to win that game. i got to go through my predictions. First week, 12 wins, 3 losses for me in predictions. This week, 1-0 to start, 2-0 at this point, because I chose the Arizona Cardinals over the Indianapolis Colts on the road. Now, there's two things I predicted. I predicted Arizona wins, and I predicted Jacoby Brissett should get the starting job. Jacoby Brissett is somebody I covered with the NC State Wolfpack. He's someone that played for the New England Patriots as a third-string quarterback and did pretty damn well with Tom Brady out with his four-game suspension last season. When you look at Jacoby Brissett and you look at his capabilities, I know that the numbers don't adequately show it. He had no touchdowns to an interception, 216 yards, 20 of 37, completed 20, but had 17 incompletions. So almost 50%, which is not good by any stretch of the imagination. 
But Jacoby Brissett, in my opinion, he's a dual-threat quarterback. He's a guy who knows how to win. He's a guy who's got a chip on his shoulder. He's a guy who's faced adversity. He's a guy who's been in the system with Bill Belichick and company and learned from Tom Brady. So, in my opinion, he's the only starter if you have Scott Tolzien and Jacoby Brissett on your roster. There is no option. It's Jacoby Brissett. He was the second-leading rusher on the team, which wasn't saying too much for the Colts, who couldn't get anything going in this game. Jack Doyle, I got to tell you, he is a good pickup if he's still out there for you. A lot of us took a flyer on him believing that somebody was going to get him the ball, and they have done that. Leading receiver for the team in the loss, eight catches for 79 yards. T.Y. Hilton, no matter who the quarterback is, still getting looks, but only had 49 yards in the game. I told you to look out for J.J. Nelson and consider putting him out there. I said when it comes to playing Indianapolis, you put out all of the receivers for Arizona because you never know who's going to get it, but I had a feeling somebody was going to have a day or it was going to be split. Larry Fitzgerald, three catches for 21 yards. J.J. Nelson, five catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Chris Johnson was signed back to the team and was the leading rusher for the team, 11 catches for four, 11 uh, carries, I should say, for 44 yards. David Johnson injured. Carson Palmer didn't have a great day, 19 to 36. Pretty much as ugly as Jacoby Brissett was, completion percentage-wise. One touchdown, one interception, but Arizona better than... I just I don't think the Colts are a good team. I think Andrew Luck got figured out before let go, going into last season. I wasn't convinced that he was this top quarterback in the NFL. When he first came into the NFL, yeah, he had some good moments. He had some positive play, but... I, you just watching him, it looks like he got figured out. It just kind of looked like people knew what Andrew Luck was going to do. They knew how to respond to him. Guster said, I agree with you on the talent of Brissett, but the O-line in Indy is terrible. Well, the offensive line allowed the Colts to run 29 times for 76 yards. That is 2.6 yards per carry. That is atrocious. Arizona didn't do much better. 25 carries for 83 yards. Just a little bit better. Four less carries, seven more yards. Not much. But when you look at this game and you figure that Arizona's going to throw the ball, especially without David Johnson, I don't think that the Colts secondary is going to stop you. And they didn't. They allowed 332 yards. They allowed a 120-yard receiver that wasn't named Larry Fitzgerald and J.J. Nelson. And that's why I said J.J.'s not a bad guy to have out there this week because if they're all going to key in on Fitz, somebody's going to be open. I just feel like the Colts have been floundering and in a downward spiral for a while now. I don't think that this is a game where you're like, oh my God, they just had a bad game. I feel like Indy... Indy has only come close to or won in the last couple seasons the AFC South because everybody else in the division was undeniably awful. That's the only reason why the Colts have done well. Yeah, they have T.Y. Hilton and Frank Gore. They're not bad, but this team is a shell of what it used to be. It started with Peyton Manning leaving. You thought Andrew Luck was going to be able to carry the reins. It looked like that in the beginning, and it has since changed. With injuries and inconsistencies, Andrew Luck 
and the Colts. If Jacksonville could wake the hell up and Tennessee plays like the way they did to end the season last season, then Houston and Indy are going to have an issue. Because Houston is winning the division because the division was terrible. The Colts were winning the division because the division was terrible. If Jacksonville or Tennessee utilizes the immense amount of talent that they have on their team, the Colts and the Texans are going to get a rude awakening. They're not great teams. They're teams that kind of stink it up, but look at who they have against them in the AFC South. Kansas City, so that game 2-0 for me. Kansas City makes me 3-0 over the Philadelphia Eagles. Justin Turner, who works, who works for me, told me that I am crazy. That I was nuts and that there was something wrong with me with choosing Kansas City. And I said, are you serious? Did you see what they did in week one? If they could continue that, I got faith in them. I don't have faith in the secondary of the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't. They allowed 251 yards on 21 catches to the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs need to figure it out, though, because they allowed 333 yards receiving to the Philadelphia Eagles. Zach Ertz led the way for the second week in a row. Elshon Jeffrey behind him. Torrey Smith bumped up. Mac Hollins came up. Nelson Aguilar did what Nelson Aguilar does. He was still at the bottom, but the man caught a touchdown pass for the second week in a row, which I don't think has ever happened for Nelson Aguilar in his young career in the NFL. So, some changes, but Zach Ertz still the guy. And I told you, play Travis Kelsey, even though he wasn't utilized as much. And I said, I don't know how much he'll be utilized with Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt playing well in that week one together. But how do you leave Travis Kelsey on the bench? He's worth the play. And guess what? If you listen to me, he got you eight catches for 103 yards to lead Kansas City's receiving core with a touchdown as well. The only touchdown for Kansas City through the air. Kareem Hunt had two touchdowns and 81 yards on the ground. 6.2 yards per carry. Tyreek Hill was quiet in this game. He finished with 49 all-purpose yards and no touchdowns. I was surprised with the elevation of former Bears wide receiver Elshon Jeffrey and former Niner and Raven Torrey Smith in the fact that they both bumped up and Jeffrey got into the end zone. You're, I, I thought that Elshon Jeffrey could be a nice addition and this could potentially help in his career because in Chicago, he just, I don't know, to me, he got kind of lost over the past couple of years. But Zach Ertz, I feel like if I draft him, he's got like, you know, he 40 yards. The thing is with Zach Ertz is consistency. But this season, if you drafted him, he's been consistent for you over these first couple weeks. And I know it's only two weeks, but back-to-back -back weeks, not a bad sign. And you got to keep paying attention. He got you 93 yards in week one, 97 yards in week two. And he had eight catches in week one for 93 yards. He got 97 yards in three less catches the next week. Eight catches, 93, then five catches, 97. He was targeted eight times, caught all eight in week one. He was targeted ten times, caught five of them in week two. Yet to get in the end zone, but that's inevitable in my opinion. So, Zach Ertz, not a bad play. Carson Wentz completed 25 passes, had 21 incompletions. 333 yards, though. Two touchdowns, one interception. 
if you have Carson Wentz, who wasn't a bad guy to pick up as your backup or your third-string quarterback because he was out there, he got you over 300 yards passing. Not too shabby at all. Kareem Hunt continued to do work for you, and Kansas City continues to move themselves forward, winning. They, I mean, look at this. They were 28-27 ahead of the New England Patriots in Week 1 on the road in Foxborough and blew the doors open 42-27. Who does that? Who is up by a point to the Patriots that doesn't lose by three touchdowns somehow? Kansas City playing up against Philadelphia the next week at home in Kansas City, and they held tough after allowing 333 yards through the air. Next game we're going to discuss before we take a step aside is New England against New Orleans. And this game put me in a nice situation as well. This game made me 4-0 on the week. Reason being is, who would have thunk that the Patriots would lose two games in a row? Especially after losing that badly. If you thought the Patriots were going to lose this game, you got to consult your conscience. you got to go back and, you know, you got to look at that brain of yours. Because the Patriots, no matter who they're playing, when they get spanked, they don't scream and cry like a baby. When they get spanked, they like bulldoze the next team. Rex Burkhead got in the end zone to start the game. Shout out to those of you that believed that he would be utilized in the offense, because he has been. Chris Hogan got himself involved. Mike Gillisley doing it again this year. Rob Gronkowski getting in. And Kobe Fleener, two weeks in a row, with a touchdown after laying a bunch of goose eggs last year as the New Orleans Saints tight end. Michael Thomas came alive in this game more so than the one before. Five catches for 89 yards to lead New Orleans. Brandon Coleman, in his third season out of Rutgers, was second on New Orleans, had a touchdown in the game, 82 yards. Not a lot of people drafted him. Alvin Kamara, three catches, 51 yards, targeted seven times, he is getting more and more involved in this offense, and I hope you all picked him up. I got him in the 18th round of 18 rounds. Kobe Fleener and Josh Hill both caught three passes at the tight end position. Ted Ginn still getting utilized. Mark Ingram, four catches in the game, targeted five times. And Michael Humanawanui, one of my favorite names in NFL history, he got involved as the third tight end of New Orleans. Because Drew Brees likes the tight end. Rob Gronkowski, who had a not-so-Rob Gronkowski week one, had six catches for 116 yards to lead the team and a touchdown. James White had eight catches for 85 yards. Great check down back. Great back catching out of the backfield. Chris Hogan, five catches on six targets and a touchdown, 78 yards. Burke had, had a touchdown in the game. Brandon Cooks was, was quiet, though. Two catches for 37 yards. New England ran the ball with three, pardon me, seven different players. Mike Gillisley led the team for the second week in a row in yards and touchdowns. Had the only rushing touchdown on the team in 69 yards on 18 carries. Deion Lewis behind him, then James White, then Tom Brady. Then wide receiver Philip Dorsett, who was a former Colt. Brandon Cooks, former uh, wide receiver, former wide receiver of the Saints and uh, then Rex Burkhead. 
For New Orleans rushing, Alvin Kamara only had one carry. Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram are literally, statistically, doing exactly what I told you I thought they would do. In the first week, they both had six carries. In the second week, they both had eight carries. Sean Payton is essentially going, all right, you go out there, and you go out there. I'm going to give you the same amount of time. Show me what you got. And for the second week in a row, Adrian Peterson has been more than outdone. Mark Ingram took his eight carries, 52 yards, 6.5 yards a carry. Longest carry was 28 yards. Adrian Peterson, eight carries for 26 yards, 3.3 yards a carry, which was less than half of the average of Mark Ingram. And his longest rush was six yards. 22 yards less than Mark Ingram's longest carry of 28 yards. I'm telling you right now, the New Orleans Saints need to trade Adrian Peterson. Mark Ingram is coming off of his best single season ever with the Saints, ever in the NFL, and Elvin Kamara is getting involved all over the field. So trade Adrian Peterson to the Giants and be done with it. Sean Payton is literally saying, put your money where your mouth is. You both get six carries, Ingram outplayed you. You both get eight carries, Ingram outplayed you. So I'll do it next week in week three. And if Adrian Peterson gets outplayed by Mark Ingram or Alvin Kamara, guess what, buddy? We don't need you out here. The thing that I find crazy, though, is Adrian Peterson didn't do anything as a former Viking going up against the Vikings in week one. He was very quiet. And then Brandon Cooks as a former Saint going up, this, up against the Saints in week two as a Patriot, he was extremely quiet, too. Sometimes guys go up against their old teams and they go insanely, insanely positive all over the field. And then other guys, it's like they weren't even on the field. Tom Brady, mistake-free, three touchdowns, no picks, 447 yards, completed 30 of his 39 passes. I told you, he was pissed. Drew Brees in a loss, 356 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. That's why I tell you, in this game, even though I thought Tom Brady was going to come in here angry and slinging that ball, you still play Drew Brees. Because Drew Brees is Drew Brees. On 4-0 as we head in to a fast break here on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora. When we come out of it, the next game we will be discussing in wall-to-wall NFL coverage from Week 2, we will get talking about Minnesota at Pittsburgh. How I didn't trust my gut and why it led me to my first loss of this week. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, Carvelanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. The Market Diner prides itself on bringing the local community fresh ingredients that are better than going elsewhere. Open for breakfast, served all day, lunch and dinner with daily specials. The Market Diner is located at the Regional Market on Park Street, right across from Destiny, USA. For takeout, call 315-474-5247. The Market Diner. Local. 
Fresh. Better. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrySigLady.com. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G. Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DrySigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, command yourself to feel comfortable in DrySig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DrySigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. Green's Ale House and Grill, located on 104 West Bridge Street in Oswego, New York, is your home for all the games all the time, Sunday through Saturday, no matter what the sport is. It's also your home of Wingmaster Jabber, who's constantly in the kitchen creating wings that have won awards, and you love to eat every single day of the week. At Green's, you'll also find the Wake Up Call with Dan Satora live on location coaches show, exclusively dedicated to the Oswego State Lakers' numerous sports programs. There's only one place to go in Oswego, and that is Green's Ale House and Grill, 104 West Bridge Street in Oswego, New York. We'll see you there. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513, or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Manja, wake up call listeners. No, seriously, Eat Up at Manja Italian Grill. Open six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, right on the Seneca River. Every Thursday is game show night from 7 to 9 p.m. hosted by Dan Tortora with live music every weekend. Join us every Sunday for brunch at 10 a.m. and don't forget to try our famous Lobster Bloody Mary. Call us at 315-638-8500 for reservations, parties, and catering or visit us at manjabeville.com. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street 
in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny USA. It is wall-to-wall -wall NFL coverage following On the Prowl, where you heard from eight different Jacksonville Jaguars one-on-one -on -one conversations with me following their Week 2 loss to the Tennessee Titans. I want to thank the Jaguars once again, and I want to thank you all for listening in, and I want to thank the NFL for giving me plenty to talk about every Tuesday morning and beyond that. We do Fantasy Football Friday, Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Mike Sofka and myself right here on MixLR.com backslash DT. So, plenty of NFL talk, and let's keep it going. Coming into this game, as I told you, I was 4-0. and Now, I chose Minnesota, but Sam Bradford, that injury, I had already put my predictions in. So this, this was an issue. I had already put the predictions in, or else, you know, obviously you make a change in this situation with Sam Bradford being ruled out of the game. So Sammy Bradford not in the game. As soon as I saw that, I was like, well... I'm not in a good I'm not in a good scenario. But I should have never chose Minnesota. My gut told me to choose Pittsburgh. I felt guilty about not choosing Minnesota the week before. And I switched. And I didn't listen to my gut. My gut told me Pittsburgh's at home. And do you really think that Pittsburgh's going to lose or do you really think Pittsburgh is going to play so bad? And lose this game after almost losing to the Cleveland Browns on the loop, on the road. So, with Case Keenum being in this game, no offense to Case Keenum, I didn't trust him in the game. But I should have chose Pittsburgh, and that's on me. I did not trust my gut. And your gut does not lie to you. Ben Roethlisberger, two touchdowns, no picks, 23 of 35, 243. Le'Veon Bell looked more like himself in this game. 27 carries for 87 yards. James Conner got a carry in this game for 9 yards. I love the fact that no matter what they're doing with Le'Veon Bell, they're giving James Conner carries. Le'Veon Bell is the guy. Le'Veon Bell is the workhorse. Le'Veon Bell is the one that they are entrusting the keys to the backfield in the hands of. But... They're still finding time for James Conner. And I love it. And I think James Conner should take that as a huge, huge, huge compliment and an, an, an investment from the Pittsburgh Steelers that they actually care enough to put him out there. Because they don't have to. He had three carries in the first week, one carry in this week, but at least he's getting out there instead of just sitting and watching. Le'Veon Bell had a pretty darn good day. Delvin Cook didn't have a bad day, 64 yards on the ground, led the team by far. Jarek McKinnon only had 16 yards on three carries. Cook had 12 carries for 64 yards. Kyle Rudolph, uh, who I told you to put out there, he led the way with 44, 45 yards. Adam Thielen right behind him with 44 yards. Stephon Diggs only had 27. Again, Case Keenum, who had some good moments when he was a Houston Texan, but Case Keenum versus Sam Bradford. If you think Sam Bradford is nothing to talk about, please go back and look at his numbers from last year when he had a week to get prepared, getting traded in the 11th hour before the start of the season from the Eagles to the Vikings. Then, go back and look at 
Minnesota without him this week against Pittsburgh. Look at the numbers of all the players. Martavis Bryant, he was another shock of this. Three, three catches, 91 yards, targeted four times, had a touchdown. Antonio Brown targeted 11 times. Five catches, 62 yards. Jesse James, quiet, four catches for 22, 27 yards. So Martavis Bryant, welcome back to the NFL. And again, Martavis Bryant, everybody's keying in on Antonio Brown. They throw the ball to him 11 times, he only catches five. Martavis Bryant gets almost 100 yards receiving and a touchdown. There is no Martavis Bryant right now in Cincinnati. Martavis Bryant, if he, if he plays at a high level every single week, then even though Antonio Brown's the best receiver in the NFL, he's going to get opportunities because you're not going to just let Martavis Bryant have 100 yards receiving and a touchdown every single week. So, I didn't trust my gut. I didn't go with Minnesota, and I didn't go with Pittsburgh. That's on me. Four and one going into the next game that we're speaking on here in wall-to-wall -wall NFL coverage on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora here on MixLR.com backslash Wake Up Call DT. If you're listening and haven't become a member, make sure you do so now. I want to address something here. I got a message from Ecto Coors, who said he was happy he trusted his gut and went with the Baltimore defense instead of the Jacksonville defense after we had discussed it. And then he said, I'm not blaming their performance. I'm glad. I'm just glad I went with my gut and changed it up. Who would have known? And I agree. Jacksonville is still looking inconsistent, and I thought they were going to be better than that. You know, when I said, because we got the question on Friday... Actually, of course, said, should I play Baltimore D or Jaguars D? And I said, well, you know, Baltimore's playing Cleveland, but I thought Cleveland would have a better game. Since Deshaun Kaiser looked good in his debut, and they almost defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, actually, of course, and I were discussing it on the live, on the live line here on MixLR.com backslash DT that only members can be a part of, so become a member free to do so. And I said, Jacksonville D. I said, look at what they did. Ten sacks. They had a third of the sacks in week one that they had done in all 16 games last year. And, you know, Ecto Cores, I'm happy you went with Baltimore. Who would have thought that Jacksonville would stink it up that badly? But, again, the offense didn't get off the field. And when your offense doesn't get off the field, you got to sit there and play. I mean, think about it. If you're a defensive player and you're going 110% every single down, you're going to get sacks, you're going to get stops, you're going to get interceptions, you're going to get fumbles, you're going to recover it, you're going to land hard hits. But if you have to play 100 defensive plays compared to 65, even the best defenders in the world are going to have moments. Jacksonville's defense gave opportunities to Jacksonville's offense. Jacksonville's offense didn't do anything with those opportunities. In the Tampa Bay-Chicago game, this game easily makes me 5-1. I have no trust in Chicago this season, and I haven't for a long time. Their defense is not even a shell of itself. Uh, it's less than that. So Chicago going up against Tampa Bay, who has their first game of the season after 
not having a game in week one, and they'll play 16 straight weeks, as will Miami, after Hurricane Irma had come through the area and they wanted to keep their players safe and the families, which is of prime importance, far greater than any football game or anything. Your life isn't more important than anything else. And as, as much as I say that, we all have to remind ourselves of that. Your life is more important than your job. Your life is more important than, I mean, your health is more important than anything. And what we do to our bodies and how we treat ourselves and the stress that we put ourselves under, you forget that your health is more important than anything. And I'm reminded of that this morning. And I hope you are too. To take care of your health and to take care of yourself. And God bless us all. Tampa Bay, after taking care of family first, got on the field. And they look like the other Florida team from the week before. 29-7 is what the Jaguars did to the Texans. Tampa did that to Chicago in week two. Tampa Bay in this game. Jacquez Rogers, who I still think should be the number one running back. Jacquez Rogers was a forgotten man in Atlanta. He came to Tampa. This man goes to work every single day. He's not getting suspended like some morons. <clears throat> Doug Martin. And I just don't trust in Doug Martin. He can take a bunch of carries 22 yards, and then the next week he has two touchdowns and 120 yards. He's not consistent, and he gets suspended. And if Tampa Bay had any mind about them, they would let Jacquez Rogers be the guy. And that's it. Just let him be the guy. Trust in him and let him be the guy. Tampa Bay wins this game handily. Jameis Winston, 18 of 30. Not very good, but one touchdown and no interceptions. I said in his rookie season he looked pretty good, but he had to lower his interceptions. And he started off the season without one, which is definitely positive. Can't say the same about Chicago, who had two interceptions from Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon starting instead of Mitch Trubisky, the rookie that they chose second overall and went a draft pick up to do so. He was Mike Lennon was 31 of 45, the former Tampa Bay Buck. One touchdown and two interceptions. Jordan Howard, who was coming into this game not 100% based on the injury report, ran the ball nine times for seven yards, which was very un-Jordan Howard of Jordan Howard. Tariq Cohen, who had a very nice week one, was leading rusher and receiver. Seven carries for 13 yards. Credit the Tampa Bay rushing attack, who allowed Chicago 16 carries for 20 yards. 1.3 yards per carry. Tariq Cohen, though, involved in the passing game again, eight catches for 55 yards, so he still got you 68 yards on the day, cumulatively. Kendall Wright led Chicago's receiving, shockingly. Seven catches for 69 yards. Deontay Thompson, four catches for 57 yards, and the team's only score of the game in his fifth season out of Florida. And I'm sure that he's not on many of your fantasy football rosters. I told you to play Mike Evans. He had seven catches for 93 yards and a touch. Told you to play Deshaun Jackson, three catches for 39. He was the second highest receiver for Tampa. Look at the discrepancy. Mike Evans, 93 yards. Deshaun Jackson, 39. I told you to play Cameron Brait over Jordan Howard. He had two catches for 24. OJ had one catch for 17, but they both were involved in the game.
And overall, you look at how many, you look at the uh, interceptions of Tampa Bay and give respect where respect is due. I want to get into those interceptions. Robert McClain and Quan Alexander. Robert McClain taking his back 47 yards for a touchdown in the game. If you had Tampa Bay's defense, good for you in this one. As you know, I think any defense against Chicago at this point is not a bad play for you. So that game puts me at so we have one and oh, two and oh, three and oh, four and oh, four and one, five and one, six and one after Carolina Buffalo. This game by far was probably the biggest shocker that I had in week one. If not the biggest shocker, then definitely in the top two, top three. The fact that Carolina beat the Bills barely, and they weren't in Buffalo. They were in Carolina. They won 9-3. to This game was vomitous. It was disgusting. Cam Newton, 20-32, 228, not bad. No touchdowns, no picks. Christian McCaffrey, 8 carries for 10 yards. That was gross. Jonathan Stewart, 15 carries for 40 yards. The best thing that Christian McCaffrey has done in his first two weeks in the NFL is help Jonathan Stewart get more carries and get get more comfortable. Jonathan Stewart, even though he only had 15 for 40 and no touchdowns, Jonathan Stewart looks better in the first two weeks than he has looked in years, in my opinion, in Carolina, and that's because people are keying in on Christian McCaffrey. And they know that there's more than one option now. McCaffrey did have four catches for 34 yards, though. Funchess, 68 yards in Week 2. That's good for people like me that picked him up as my fifth or sixth receiver. Calvin Benjamin, six catches for 77 yards. I told you I didn't know how involved the receiving core would be with Christian McCaffrey doing what he does, but Benjamin and Funchess did get involved. Greg Olson's going to be out for a bunch of weeks, though. One catch for 10 yards. That's a sad thing, and God bless, and my prayers go to him and everybody out injured in any walk of life. Terrible, terrible news for Greg Olson, a top five tight end. As far as rushing, LaShawn McCoy, 12 carries for 9 yards after having 110 yards on 22 carries in week 1. 0.8 yards a carry after carrying the ball, 5 yards a carry. Carolina's run defense spanked LaShawn McCoy. They did allow Tyrod Taylor to run the ball 8 times for 55 yards, just shy of 7 yards a carry. So Carolina obviously not doing a good job at spying on the quarterback, but they shut down LaShawn McCoy. McCoy did lead the receivers, though, six catches for 34 yards, which is not good news for Buffalo's receiving. Zay Jones had one catch in Week 1. He had two in Week 2. Charles Clay, who caught a touchdown in Week 1, three catches for 23 yards. Jordan Matthews, three catches for 30 yards. Buffalo just looks ugly all over the place. I don't expect Buffalo to be this bad fantasy-wise in receiving and rushing, the entire season, but holy mother, if Carolina's defense is back this year, because this is the thing, two years ago, Carolina's defense was there and their offense was there, right? Defense and offense was there. Last year, the offense was gone. This year, the offense is gone uh, through two weeks, but the defense is back. So it's like they're finding their way back to themselves. You got offense and defense en route to the Super Bowl. Then you have a lack of offense. Now you have a lack of offense, but an uptick in your defense. 9-3. to three.
Carolina scored in three of four quarters. Buffalo scored in the fourth quarter only. If you had either one of these defenses, you got points, ironically, because they both held each other under a certain amount. So this is one of those games where you benefited from having the losing defense, as strange as that sounds. That game is a win for me, but is it really... <laughs> I mean, it's a defensive win for Carolina, but what an ugly game. 6-1 after that, 6-2 and two after Tennessee and Jacksonville. We already discussed that game. I will not bring myself through the pain of having to watch that game on site at the press box and then having to talk about it once again further. So 6-2 after that, 6-3 after Cleveland loses to Baltimore. I thought Cleveland might steal this one. I know some people think I'm insane to say that, but I thought that there might be a chance for Cleveland to snatch one away from Baltimore. And I was like, well, either we're going to see the Baltimore could potentially be the real deal when in their second game in the row, or Cleveland's going to steal one away from them and show what they could do. Deshaun Kaiser had a nice week one, had a very bad week two. 15, 15 completions, 16 incompletions. No touchdowns, three interceptions. Isaiah Crowell, 10, 10 carries for 37 yards. Kaiser did run the ball five times for 26 yards, 5.2 yards carry. That was good. Duke Johnson, 5.3 yards carry, but not much to put out there for fantasy, 21 yards. Rashard Higgins, seven catches for 95 yards. Seth DeValve, the tight end, two catches for 61. Duke Johnson Jr., 59 yards receiving. So he ended, he ended this game by getting you 80 yards cumulatively. David Njoku, baby. Three catches, 27 yards, and a touchdown. I drafted that man. Kevin Hogan threw him a touchdown. Five of 11 in the game Kevin Hogan was. One touchdown, one interception. Got to show some love to David Njoku. I picked him up, and I don't think anybody thought about this man for the majority of the five drafts I had. Rookie tight end out of Miami, and he got himself his first touchdown of his young NFL career in only two games. But Cleveland didn't have a lot of positives besides that. I just got a question from Gusser, and I will speak on that in just a moment. Gusser, so hold for me on that one. Baltimore, Joe Flacco, 25-34, two touchdowns, one interception. Good play to have. Javoris Allen, 14 carries, 66 yards. Terrence West, only 22 yards, but had a touchdown. Both of these guys, two weeks in a row, finding a way to work together. And I love it, because Terrence West... And Javoris Allen pissed me the heck off last season. And now they're actually getting some things done. Alex Collins and his gold grills went 42 yards on the ground in his second season in the NFL. Benjamin Watson, leading receiver for Baltimore. This was a shocker. Former tight end for the Saints and the Patriots. 91 yards receiving. Javoris Allen had a receiving touchdown and another 35 yards. So Allen... Got you 101 yards total from scrimmage and a touchdown. Jeremy Macklin got you a touchdown for the second week in a row, despite only having 31 yards. And Terrence West finished without a touchdown, but got you 45 cumulative yards for this game. And as of right now, Jeremy Macklin, Javoris Allen, and Terrence West are all week-to-week plays for you in fantasy football. Which I can now say... Because, I mean, I'm looking at what they're doing, and you look at these first couple weeks, consistency is key. 
and they have been consistent. Some teams were wildly inconsistent, but not this team. So credit to them. Jabril Peppers, the rookie that can do a little bit of everything, he had one kick return for 18 yards, and he had a punt return that he just fielded. So not a lot coming from him as of right now. I want to address the question that came from Gusser, who asked me, uh, Dan, should the Bills begin to consider starting Peterman over Taylor? And my answer to that, Gusser, that I just put on the live feed and will now read off, is I give it one more week for Tyrod Taylor, and then I say yes. Nathan Peterman is a guy who is a pocket passer, right? Tyrod Taylor can run around and get you some yards. Got the most yards of any Buffalo rusher in in the game, which wasn't saying much because Buffalo was atrocious. All he had to do was beat 12 carries for 9 yards from LaShawn McCoy. And he had 8 for 55, which was good. But... You know, Tyrod Taylor, there's been this relationship with Buffalo that just appears to be very tumultuous. You know, they it didn't seem like last year when they sat him on the bench, it just didn't seem like they were really invested in making sure that he is undoubtedly the guy moving forward. So, in my opinion, I give Tyrod Taylor one more one more week. And then I start the pit quarterback, Nathan Peterman. I think Nathan Peterman out there in the field is better for the receiving core. I think Taylor's better for the runners. I think Peterman's better for everybody. So I give it one more week, and then I would love to see Nathan Peterman out there. I'm not saying he's going to be perfect, but why Why in the hell would the Buffalo Bills draft Nathan Peterman? Why? Unless there was a rhyme and reason to their decision. Why draft him? Tyrod Taylor's not been in the league that long. So why would you draft Nathan Peterman? Tyrod Taylor, is only he's in his seventh season out of Virginia Tech. Right? It feels like three years ago he was brought in, though. I really do. I feel like he's been the Buffalo quarterback for like three years. But in the fifth round, you pick up rookie out of Pittsburgh, Nathan Peterman. A little bit taller, a little bit bigger than Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod has spent his entire, or he has spent part of his career with Baltimore. And I was right. He's been the quarterback of Buffalo for three. I said it feels like it's been three years, and it's been three years. Because he was the third stringer in Baltimore. Played in three games, seven games, three games, and one game in Baltimore. Played 14 to 16 games in 2015-16 for Buffalo, 15 to 16 last year, and both of the games this year. First year at Buffalo, 20 touchdowns to six interceptions. Last year, 17 touchdowns to six interceptions. Over 3,000 yards in both years. 61% or better completion percentage. His completion percentage this year is 62.3%. Two touchdowns to one pick. Not bad. The majority of his career, 6,606 yards, came in his two years at Buffalo before this season. His numbers aren't bad. His interceptions are low. But if you're talking about moving this offense and getting receivers involved and why is the offense not doing much of anything in the first couple weeks, why did they seem to barely beat the Jets and then they lost to the Panthers? In a game where neither team scored a touchdown? 
So numbers don't lie. Stats don't lie with Tyrod Taylor. But performance, performance doesn't lie either. And if I'm Jordan Matthews, Zay Jones, Charles Clay, I want consistency. So I give it one more week. And if Buffalo fails to get in the end zone, I definitely go to Nathan Peterman in week four. If Buffalo loses the game and doesn't score 30 points, even if they do, maybe I still consider Peterman. If Buffalo craps out and doesn't get in the end zone, Peterman week four is my opinion. Tyrod, again, his numbers don't lie. 37 touchdowns to 12 interceptions over his two years in Buffalo. But this, the team is not scoring. The ball is not moving up and down the field. And you got to put some of that on the offensive line, too. But I would rather see Nathan Peterman early in the season, even if it's just to light a fire under Tyrod Taylor's butt. But Tyrod Taylor, for 16 games, if they play like they did in Week 2, hell no. And I don't think the fans are going to back you if you do that. So we discussed Cleveland and Baltimore. So as of right now, Six and three going into this game in my predictions. New York at Oakland, you know who I picked. I obviously picked the Raiders. Derek Carr, three touchdowns, 23 of 28, 230 yards. Jalen Richard, who I actually have on my radar, caught a, ran a touchdown in and led the team in rushing. Six carries, 58 yards, 9.7 yards a carry. Corderell Patterson, who came from Minnesota, who ran the ball in Minnesota as well as a wide receiver. Three carries, 57 yards, 19 yards a carry. I'm going to go ahead and repeat that and rewind. 19 yards a carry. 19 yards a carry. Not as a traditional uh, running back. And a touchdown. Marshawn Lynch, 12 carries, 45 yards. Almost four yards carry and a touchdown. Three separate rushers scored a touchdown for the Raiders. What I don't like about the Raiders is they allowed 126 yards rushing to the Jets. Forte had 53 yards. McCown had 31. Elijah McGuire had 29. Bilal Powell had 13. Again, if you drafted Bilal Powell, I don't know what was going through your brain. Bilal Powell has been with the Jets for a very long time. He has never run the ball consistently well. He's had like two good weeks in four years. Why people were so high on Bilal Powell, especially to draft him in the first nine rounds, was beyond me. But I wasn't going to fight you on it because that means that there was a better wide running back left out there. Matt Forte, credit to him, he looked more like himself. Nine carries, 53 yards, 5.9 yards a carry. The biggest, the biggest blunder and concern for me is that the Raiders allowed the Jets 126 yards on the ground. DeAndre Washington got involved too for the Raiders. Six carries, 20 yards. 180 yards, 27 carries. Almost seven yards a carry for the Oakland Raiders. And like I said, Jalen Richard is a guy that was on my radar in the drafts. Southern Mississippi in his second year. Not a bad player. Led the team... 
in rushing yards and had almost 10 yards of carry. Michael Crabtree, listen, somebody said it right. I was watching NFL primetime last night. They said Michael Crabtree is the starting. He's the number one receiver on this team. It's not Amari Cooper. And the numbers don't lie. Six catches, targeted six times, caught them all, 80 yards. 50% of the time that he caught a pass against the Jets, it was a touchdown. Caught six, three of them were for touchdowns. Jalen Richard utilized in the receiving attack as well. Two catches on two targets, 51 yards. Amari Cooper behind them both with four catches for 33 yards. Right behind him, Jared Cook, four catches for 25 yards. In my opinion, Amari Cooper should be well above Jared Cook, the tight end. So that is shocking to me. But if you played Crabtree, Crabtree, Lynch, Richard, Carr, you're in great shape. Somehow the Jets got 20 points. They got two touchdowns from Josh McCown and no interceptions. Shout out to Josh McCown for that. 17 completions, 8 incompletions. He had a pretty good day. Jermaine Kearse, who came over from the Seattle Seahawks, two touchdowns in the game, leading the team two weeks in a row in receiving yards, had 64 in this game, not too shabby. Matt Forte ended the game by getting you 91 yards from scrimmage. Good for him. 91 yards from scrimmage. So Matt Forte somehow got work done against the Raiders, and the Raiders definitely need to key in on what they allowed on the ground against the Jets. Biggest surprise of this week, Jalen Richard, but also somebody, like I said, that was on my radar. And three different rushers, one of them being a receiver, gaining a touchdown on the ground for the Oakland Raiders. Phenomenal, phenomenal play by the Raiders in this game offensively. Defensively, they got to fix some things, but not too shabby for them. We're going to take a step aside here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt for a fast break to hear from great partners that I'm proud to work with in central and upstate New York. When I come back, we will round out the rest of the NFL. We have six more games to go through. We have all of we have uh, Miami, Los Angeles Chargers, Dallas, Denver, the Redskins up against the Rams, the Niners and the Seahawks, the Packers up against the Falcons, and of course Monday night's Lions at the New York Giants. We'll discuss all of that after this fast break. And as we stand right now, the record is still on the positive side for me in predictions, so feeling good about that. We'll take this fast break and I'll talk with you in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315 315- 
487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. This is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. Hi, this is Sal Lamedico, owner and operator of Sal's Pizza and Restaurant, 41 East Genesee Street in the village of Ballersville. We are family owned and operated since 2002. We take pride in customer service and quality of food where it's paramount we don't choose between both. We offer carry-out, delivery, and catering. Or you can bring your family and friends in and enjoy friendly staff and comfortable atmosphere. Trivia is offered once a week, every Wednesday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Call us at 315-638-8505 or visit us online at salspizzabville.com. We're here at Sal's Pizza Restaurant. We're more than pizza. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Make sure you become a member on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt, as well as on wakeupcalldt.com. Like the page on Facebook at wakeupcalldt. On Twitter, follow at calldt. And on Instagram, follow at dantortoramedia, as well as Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel with over a thousand videos on youtube.com backslash wakeupcalldt. You can download the show and get over 750 episodes by going to wakeupcalldt.com and right under the live MixLR feed that's embedded there on the site, you will see download for free. RSS feed, iTunes store, as well as the Wake Up Call DT app, show app powered by Podbean. Any one of those is free. So make sure that you download them and keep them with you at all times so you never miss a moment of the broadcast. Thank you for all the ways you connect with the show. And, of course, by coming out every Wednesday at 7 p.m. for live trivia at Sales Restaurant in Baldwinsville, as well as coming out every Thursday at 7 p.m. for live game show night, which has never done, been done before in central and upstate New York. And it's at Manja Italian Grill in Baldwinsville on the Seneca River. As well as everybody that comes out for our pregame shows for Syracuse football and Syracuse men's basketball to come at Lee's and Staggerwald downtown on 117 East Fayette Street, five minutes from the Dome. And, of course, everybody that comes out once a month to, well, should, should come out throughout the month, but everybody that comes out and sees our live show at Sammy Malone's as well as our live show at the Wildcat Sports Pub Everyone in the Wake Up Call Fantasy Football Challenge from the Wildcat Sports Pub and everybody who will be coming out to Green's Oswego to come out and see us on 104 West Bridge Street in Oswego, New York with Dan Kane, the head men's soccer coach in his first season, having a heck of a season with Oswego State Lakers team. Tuesday, September 26th at 7 p.m. Come and see us at Green's in Oswego as we do our live broadcast from there, 
every month. Oswego State Lakers Coaches Show, exclusively brought to you by Wake Up Call, exclusively at Green's Oswego on 104 West Bridge Street in Oswego, New York. A different coach, different coaches every single month of the year. And we're starting things off with Dan Kane of the soccer team for men's soccer for Oswego State, Tuesday, September 26th at 7 p.m. And we can't wait to see you out there to usher in a new beginning and a wonderful partnership with Greens Oswego, who has been voted nationally with a bunch of awards for their wings. Dry rub as well as their, I don't want to call it a liquid seasoning, but you know, the typical seasoning that you put on it where you dunk it in the sauce. So they have so many different flavors. I think they have like 20 some odd flavors there. Just tested Caribbean jerk. They have a Creole seasoning that's a dry rub. You definitely want to come hang out with me and be there for the live show and get yourself some wings at Green's Oswego that just a couple of years ago was voted the National Rookie of the Year in their first year going out to this national challenge that's held in Buffalo, New York. So a big shout out to Green's Oswego, and we look forward to seeing you there Tuesday, September 26th at 7 p.m., 104 West Bridge Street in Oswego, New York. Gusser asked a question here, is the Raiders' defense good enough to help them reach the playoffs? We know their offense is, but they play in a division with Kansas City and Denver, who to me have looked better thus far. So I am answering that question, and I'm going to read it off to you. Oakland is not a three-phase team as of now. Kansas City is the team to beat, in my opinion. Followed by Denver. I know it's only two weeks in, so we have to, you know, not go crazy here. But if the playoffs started today... Kansas City and Denver would be in, in my opinion. So once again, Oakland is not a three-phase team as of now. Kansas City is the team to beat, followed by Denver. But they're both good. If the playoffs started today, it would be a travesty to the NFL if Kansas City and Denver weren't both in there. Denver was good and made the playoffs and won a playoff game with Tim Tebow. Denver was good and made it to the Super Bowl, and won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. Denver is good, and has won with Trevor Simeon. you got to give some credit and some love to that defense, because three different quarterbacks, and the team is still good. And give some love to the receiving core of Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, and the running back C.J. Anderson, who have gone through Tebow, Peyton Manning, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, back to Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, and they've all been successful. C.J. Anderson's playing better football than he's played in a long time right now. The defense is doing what the defense does in Denver. Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are always draftable players in fantasy because whoever's throwing to them, they always find a way to be good. They always find a way in reality and fantasy to put up numbers. So a hefty shout-out to Denver. And the only reason why Denver is not talked about 100% of the time when you talk about the AFC West is because Kansas City defeated the Patriots, the defending national champions, handily 
They just spanked them. Kansas City outright tore up the New England Patriots. And then they weathered a storm against Philadelphia at home and won that game too. So shout out to both teams. Kansas City and Denver. Two teams that if they keep playing like this, your expectations for them could and should get higher and higher. We finally got to see Jay Cutler go out there for Miami. Didn't have a bad day. 24 completions, 9 incompletions. One touchdown, no interceptions, more importantly. Phillip Rivers did, does what Phillip Rivers has continued to do. One touchdown wasn't like him, but 331 yards, 31 completions to, to 8 incompletions. That is what we know is Phillip Rivers. Definitely worth the play week to week, even though they only scored 17 points and lost. Melvin Gordon worth the play. He only had nine carries for 13 yards, but he got in the end zone. Brandon Oliver, 10 yards a carry, but only carried the ball three times for 31 yards. you think a guy who's getting 10 yards a carry would get more than three carries. However, he didn't. And that is because the average is misleading. He had a 26-yard run that made up all but five of his yards. He had a 26-yard run, and then he had two carries for five yards. That is why Brandon Oliver didn't get the ball a lot. Now, Melvin Gordon had nine carries for 13 yards, but his, even though those looked disgusting and atrocious, 11 of his 13 yards came on one carry. That means he took eight carries, two yards. So he did even worse than Brandon Oliver, but he got in the end zone. Jay Ajayi, everybody wondering, he finally showed up last year, but Dan, is he the real deal? Well, in week one, 28 carries, 122 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. Because Jay Cutler, Kenyon Drake, and Jarvis Landry all carry the ball for negative yardage, Jay Ajayi finished the game with 122 yards. The team finished with 111. So the team finished with 11 yards less than Jay Ajayi got in the game. Jay Ajayi carried for every single valuable yard on the ground for Miami. So, for everybody going, is he going to crap out? And was last year just like a weird year for Jay Ajayi where he was really good? Well, if it's any sign to you, Jay Ajayi had 122 yards. The rest of the team had negative 11. Devontae Parker, who I told you I believe is going to be the leading receiver for Jay, Jay Cutler after how well he looked at times in preseason. Four catches, 85 yards, led the team. However, the biggest target of Jay Cutler was Jarvis Landry. He threw to him 15 times. Credit to Jarvis, caught 13 of 15 for 78 yards. Kenny Stills, though, got a touchdown. So Kenny Stills is still relevant. Two catches, one of them was a touchdown, targeted five times. So Devontae Parker got the yardage, but Jarvis Landry got the looks. Fifteen targets, caught 13 of them. So Jarvis Landry, even though I think Devontae Parker is going to be the guy as far as fantasy goes, Jarvis Landry is still getting the, he's getting the targets, he's getting the looks, still worth playing out there. So I'm not going to give up on Jarvis Landry. I don't draft him, but... The numbers don't lie. He targeted him 15 times. Put it this way. 
Jay Cutler targeted Jarvis Landry more times than he targeted Stills and Parker combined. 15 targets thrown Jarvis Landry's way. 14 combined targets to Parker and Stills. On the other side of it, Keenan Allen's healthy. God bless and hopefully he'll stay that way. 100 yards to lead the Los Angeles Chargers in receiving. I told you don't expect Hunter Henry to go quiet in fantasy two weeks in a row, and hopefully you listen to me. Seven catches for 80 yards. Melvin Gordon only had 13 yards on the ground, but he had a touchdown on the ground, and he added 65 yards, catching seven of the eight passes thrown his way. So he ended the game respectable, 78 all-purpose yards and a touchdown. Tyrell Williams, not too shabby, 54 yards. And Antonio Gates got a touchdown on only... Two catches, one of them was for a touchdown. So you can't leave Antonio Gates on the bench just yet if you have a two tight end set or if you have the opportunity for a flex position and you're looking to throw somebody out there. This game I chose to win in this one. I did choose Miami, so that makes me 8-3 and three in my predictions so far. This was a big one for Miami to squeak out on the road, 19-17. to 17. Didn't play in week one. Had to deal with Hurricane Irma, and then, after everything with Irma, not getting to play in Week 1, they had to go all the way over to the other coast, and they still won the game. Shout out to Miami and Jay Ajayi, who was a huge reason why they won it, 19-17. Dallas at Denver. I chose the Denver Broncos in this game at home. They are 6-0 and in their last six games against the Cowboys, and they definitely affected Dak Prescott. Would I drop Greg Olson? He's going to be out at least four weeks. Depends on who's out there, Johnny. So uh, let me address that right now. Johnny asked, should you drop Greg Olson? So I'm going to go to our league. And last, and, and, you know, and this is the thing. Last week, I told you all to pick up Tariq Cohen. And I said I would go out there and get him. And you guys listen to me because when I went out to check if he was available... He was already gone in a bunch of our fantasy leagues. So I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lead you astray. I'm literally in real time looking at who's available. And it could be to my detriment if you go out and get this person. But I'm going to tell you the truth. You asked me a question, and I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not about me. It's about us. And I am a broadcaster, and I am impartial above all things. That is what I do as my livelihood. So my fantasy football team, of course I want to win. But you're asking me a question about what you should do with Greg Olson, and I'm not going to lie to you to benefit me. Some people might think that's stupid. I think that that's being a man of the people, and I think it's being an honest broadcaster and an honest business owner. So, with that being said, Jesse James has an ankle injury, but he plans to play. He is available. And this is directly in our league. So I'm assessing the situation. So Johnny, this is exactly who is out there right now on the waiver wire. Kobe Fleener has a touchdown in both of the first two games. This is his last year to show himself. I didn't believe he was going to get it done. Shout out to the people who thought he would. He has so far. We're only two games in, but he has so far, which is good. Kobe Fleener. Roll Tad, roll Tad. So, Johnny, I'm telling you in real time right now, on our waiver wire, in the 
Wake Up Call Fantasy Football Challenge Q's Contenders League that Johnny and I are in. Kobe Fleener's available. He's worth the pickup. Jesse James is worth the pickup. He's questionable but expected to play as of right now. And Evan Engram would be my third... Nah, that's not true. My first choice would be Jesse James. My second choice would be Kobe Fleener. My third choice would be Ben Watson. My fourth choice would be David Njoku. Well, there's a lot of guys out there. That's tough. Okay, first choice, Jesse James. Second, Kobe Fleener. Third, Antonio Gates. No, third, Ben Watson. Fourth, Antonio Gates. Fifth, David Njoku. Sixth, Evan Engram. So I just gave you six options in order of who to get on the waiver wire, Johnny. If it was up to me, can you really afford to have a guy on your roster that's not going to play for the next four to six, four to eight weeks? That answer would be no. So if, if it was up to me, Johnny, I would, I would take one of the six guys that I just mentioned. And like I said, that could be a detriment to me, but you asked me for an honest answer, and I'm going to give it to you. And I always have for 14 years and running. This is what I do. So there are six guys out there that are worth the look. And then as far as the next matchup that we got to get into, Cowboys and Broncos, as I said, I chose the Broncos in this game. Trevor Simeon is looking more and more like he could be a not-too-bad quarterback for them in reality. I mean, he's looking like he could be a pretty pretty decent guy for them. And, and I mean, if he keeps doing what he's doing, I'm going to change my word from decent to good. And I'm not beyond saying pretty damn good by the end of the year. Uh, Trevor Simeon, four touchdowns in this game, one pick. 22 completions and 32 tries. C.J. Anderson had a hell of a game. One of his, I think, his best game in a couple years. 25 carries for 118 yards. About five yards a carry. Had a touchdown. Jamal Charles is still getting involved, and this is very shocking to me. I think it's because Booker's hurt. But nine catches, nine carries for 46 yards, not bad. Uh, Demarius Thomas, six catches for 71 yards on eight targets. Manuel Sanders, six catches for eight, six catches on eight targets. For 62 yards, two touchdowns. I'm so elated that I played him. C.J. Anderson had a touchdown receiving. Caught all three of the passes thrown his way for 36 yards. So C.J. Anderson, and I don't stutter when I say this, C.J. Anderson, 154 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. One catching, one rushing. One of the best fantasy running backs of Week 2. Benny Fowler was looking good in this game, and he went out. God be with him, too. God bless him and be with him, and may he get better. Benny Fowler III had a hell of a week one. Virgil Green, tight end, caught a touchdown for him. Virgil Green is not consistent, but he'll do it here and there. So if if you listen to me, I told you C.J. Anderson, Emmanuel Sanders, and Demarius Thomas, you, you definitely got a lot of fantasy points from that. And if you listen to me on the other side, I said Witten and Bryant, and you did well with those. Witten, 10 catches for 97 yards on 13 targets and a touchdown. He did a lot better than I thought he would. Des Bryant, 7 carries, 59 yards and a touchdown. Ezekiel Elliott played like absolute stanky garbage. 9 carries, 8 yards, .9 yards a carry. The man looked like he gave up. Best rusher for the Cowboys, Dak Prescott, 3 carries for 24 yards. The Denver Broncos defense has been good for years. 
They were good three, four years ago. They're still good. And that is a big reason why this team continues to win, like I said, with four different quarterbacks in a very short span of time, four or five different quarterbacks. So credit to the Denver Broncos. They only allowed 40 yards on 14 carries, yet their team carried the ball 39 yards for 39 carries for 178 yards. The secondary of both teams was virtually the same. Cowboys allowed 231 receiving yards to the Broncos. Broncos allowed 238 receiving yards to the Cowboys. Prescott, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 30 of 50. But here's the issue. Dak Prescott looked, didn't look Dak Prescott-ish in this game, He threw, but he threw the ball 50 times. Any quarterback, no matter how good they are, if you're throwing the ball 50 times, 42 times a game, you're going to be in some trouble. Dak Prescott had to throw the ball 30 times because they only ran the ball 14 times. Do you want to know the difference between week one and week two? And the difference between a win and a loss? Dallas Cowboys threw the ball 50 times in week two to 14 carries. In week one, 39 throws to 31 rushes. Almost virtually even. 268 yards for Dak Prescott, 129 yards on the ground for the Cowboys' rushing attack, 104 of those to Ezekiel Elliott. So, for those of you that have Darren McFadden on your team, maybe don't drop him just yet. But, to me, I mean, this is this is atrocious, the play of Ezekiel Elliott in this game. But again, like I said, if you're running the ball a lot less than passing or vice versa, your team's going to be in trouble. Some teams can get away with it for a few weeks, but you're probably not going to win a Super Bowl. Probably not going to happen. Okay? Very sparingly can you have a one-sided offense and be okay. Or a one-sided defense. If you're not good in your secondary, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. Because they're only going to get so many sacks, some of those balls are going to get down the field. So I chose Denver in this game, and darn it, did they have a phenomenal offensive-defensive game, especially everything. Manuel Sanders, Demarius, everybody good. But if you played fantasy, Witten was good for you, Demarius was good for you, Emmanuel was good for you, Des Bryant was good for you, Trevor Simeon, if you put him out there, he was good for you. And if he's still out there, folks, maybe you get him and stash him. At this point, I would. Look at who you got as a backup. Or look at who you have as a sixth running back that got injured and maybe you don't need him. You got to start looking at some of these decisions because Trevor Simeon's not going to sit out there that long. Tariq Cohen wasn't going to sit out there that long. Now that Greg Olson's gone, people are going to look at tight ends now. So hopefully you heed my advice. And hopefully I can get to some of these guys before you do because... I'm telling you exactly what I'm thinking. So the Dallas Cowboys-Denver game puts me in a good place, gets me another victory. And credit to Denver's defense. Their defense against the rush was absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Denver's defense still to me is an unsung hero. They are one of the greatest defenses that we've had in the modern era of the last five, ten years. I mean, the Patriots win Super Bowls. They don't have a good defense. They don't have a shutdown defense recently. 
I'll throw against their secondary any day. But Denver? Boy, are they good up front. They get you going. Their secondary can get a little bit better. They are trouble. They're already trouble. But Kansas City and Denver, they could be Super Bowl potential teams. Depending on how consistent they go from here. Washington at the Los Angeles Rams. I chose the Rams in this one. And they almost squeaked it out. They lost to Washington 27-20 in this game. Jared Goff, 15 completions, 10 incompletions, 224 yards, touchdown and a pick. But Todd Gurley, 16 carries, 88 yards and a touchdown. Gurley, touchdown in back-to-back weeks for the first time in what felt like forever. And he had a touchdown receiving. The only person to have a receiving touchdown and the only person to have a rushing touchdown for the Rams. There was only two touchdowns scored by the Rams, and both of them came from Todd Gurley. One catching, one receiving, and he finished the game with 136 all-purpose yards. So I told you, don't give up on Todd Gurley just yet in year number three, even though the year number two was so awful. And if you got Gurley on your team, I let him go by me. I didn't want to draft him high. If he fell to me here in the fifth or sixth round, maybe then. But I didn't want to pick him up in the top four. But for those of you that got him, Jared Goff definitely helping him out. Rob Kelly led on the uh, rushing attack for Washington. However, he went out of the game with an injury. Chris Thompson, first two weeks for the Redskins, he's been scoring out of the backfield. Three carries, 77 yards, 25.7 yards per carry, and two touchdowns. Man was insane. Samaje Perrine, with Rob Kelly out, got 21 of the 39 carries, 67 yards in his debut debut, because he didn't do much anything in the first game, 3.2 yards a carry. Shout out to Samaje Perrine, who may steal that job from Rob Kelly for good if Rob is out. And God bless to Kelly out of Tulane and hope that he gets better for good and rapidly. Jordan Reed, 48 yards. Crowder, 47 Terrell Pryor, 31. I was asked, should you play Pryor or Hogan? And I feel like you should always play Hogan. But between the two of them, I chose Pryor. And Pryor just didn't do well. Pryor just did not do well. So, should have known better on that one. Chris Thompson finished the game with three catches and three carries. He ended the game with... 106 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. Chris Thompson on the season already has three touchdowns, as I said, and he had almost 26 yards a carry for Washington's offense. He's been the, the best weapon for them in the first two weeks. Then Gerald Everett, who would have thunk this one? Nobody drafted him in any of my five leagues. Rookie tight end out of South Alabama, for the Los Angeles Rams, drafted in the second round, 44th overall, Gerald Everett had the most receiving yards for the Los Angeles Rams in this game, 95. Followed by Todd Gurley with 48. Big discrepancy. Touchdown for Gurley, though. Cooper Cup, 3 for 33. Still don't give up on him. I don't believe in Sammy Watkins. I haven't for a long time in the NFL. He had two catches for 30 yards. Didn't do anything in week one either. Robert Woods, a former Bill himself, one catch for eight yards. Absolutely disgusting and atrocious and boring. And Tavon Austin, who was supposed to come out of West Virginia and be a running back receiver and 
that guy could be a slash player for the Rams since he came in. He had one catch for five yards, and he and he carried the ball two times for three yards. So he got you eight yards cumulatively on two carries and one reception. Absolutely ugly. If Rob Kelly's going to be out, Chris Thompson's definitely going to be out there for you, I would say. Go snatch him up if nobody did in week one. Samaje Perrine, get him too. It looks like Samaje might finally get his chance, but Chris Thompson's going to get the scoring opportunities. So see how that balances out. Between the two of them, they had 144 yards rushing in this in this win over the Rams. Todd Gurley had a good day as well. And Gerald Everett, if you need a backup tight end, watch him and see where he goes from here. Not too shabby in this game. And uh, this one's going to hand me a loss, unfortunately. And as we move on to the next one, San Francisco at Seattle. I chose Seattle in this one. They barely won, though, 12-9 to in this game, which is terrible because it's San Francisco, okay? I know these divisional games, for whatever reason, in the NFC West always seem to be close, but holy sweet mother, it's San Francisco. 12-9, to Seattle wins this one. I am not a Russell Wilson fantasy fan. He had 198 yards and one touchdown. That is why. Brian Hoyer had 15-27 for 99 yards, no touchdowns and interception, looking more like himself. Chris Carson for the second week in a row did a lot of good things in Seattle's rushing. Credit to Mike Sofka, my fantasy football co-host every Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time weekly for Fantasy Football Friday, giving you advice on every matchup. Chris Carson is a name he brought up, who is a rookie out of Oklahoma State, drafted in the 7th round, 249th overall. Yet, he has been the best running back for Seattle in a long time since Marshawn Lynch's injury last year, or before that, I should say. 20 carries, 93 yards. One of the very few bright spots for, for the Seattle Seahawks. Tyler Lockett. 64 yards, not too bad. Baldwin had 44. Paul Richardson, who is supposed to be the number two receiver, had a touchdown but only 19 yards in the game. Pierre Garçon, who I told you is your best option at receiver with San Fran, which is not saying much, had 26 yards. Carlos Hyde, the only person worth playing, one of San Francisco, had 124 yards on 15 carries, 8.3 yards a carry against a Seattle defense that's supposed to be good against any type of offense. So, they were definitely good against the pass, allowing 99 yards, but they were not good against the rush, allowing 159 yards. Matt Breda, 8.8 yards a carry, four carries for 35 yards, and Carlos Hyde, 124, like I said. Hyde got you 19 yards receiving, so he got you 143 all-purpose, despite not getting a touchdown, which is beautiful for San Francisco. And Chris Carson definitely came up big in this game. He's another guy that you should go and seek out in your fantasy waiver wire here this week. We'll take the final step aside of the show. Green Bay, Atlanta, Detroit at the Giants. We'll discuss those when we come back here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. We went longer on today's show. Because we are jam-packed wall-to-wall NFL, and when I cover something, I'm going to cover it completely. I'm going to be on the NFL 
like those that have been covering A.J. Green for the first two weeks. Blanket coverage. We will be back after this fast break. You definitely want to listen into it, though. I want to thank all my partners in Central and Upstate New York for all that you do. God bless you. Listen in to them, and we'll come back, cover two games in the Ingredients to Success, brought to you by Utica Pizza Company, and we will round out today's show. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. Utica Pizza Company spells family, your family, my family, their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu, but we'd be here forever. So let me say this, Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens... They're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands with fan hands. The ultimate sports fan accessory. Find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on fanhands.com where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear fan hands. The name Leeson Staggerwald is synonymous with Central New York with over 80 years of service to the community. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown is your butcher, grocery, pub, and deli located on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Minutes from the Carrier Dome and your perfect pre-gaming headquarters with Rob Drummond and myself, Dan Tortora, two hours before home games. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown, where you can dine in, take out, pre-game up on the hill with their meats or pre-game inside their walls. Lee's and Staggerwald downtown, a unique experience for every single fan and every member of the community with over eight decades of service. They're open Monday from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday 10.30 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday noon to 9 p.m., and closed on Sunday on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. The Penn and Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Penn and Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Penn and Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made 
and where memories last a lifetime. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora's extended coverage on today's broadcast. Typically, we are 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time every Monday through Friday. But this time around, on today's show, Tuesday, September 19th, we are 9 a.m. until I want to finish because we are wall-to-wall NFL coverage. And I want to thank you so much for listening in to today's broadcast on MixLR.com backslash DT where you should all become members. With that being said, let us do the last two games, Sunday night and Monday night football, inside of the segment proudly presented by Utica Pizza Company and Utica Pizza Company on wheels, which is It's a Utica Thing, with Ingredients to Success. The Ingredients to Success proudly brought to you by Utica Pizza Company on 628 South Main Street in North Syracuse, New York, in the Mains Plaza across from Sweetheart Corners, it is the home of the Dan Tortora number one pick, Wake Up Call number one pick, and that number one pick is the Chicken Riggy Pizza. If you, if you love Chicken Riggies, you got to go to Utica Pizza. If you have never had Chicken Riggies and you want to know what it's like, start out with the best and head over to Utica Pizza Company and get my Chicken Riggy Pizza that we made a while back here few months back, did a video of it. Almost 3,000 of you watched it just on Facebook alone, not including Twitter, YouTube, and so on and so forth. I want to thank you all. I want to thank everybody that went out and got a slice or the pie of the chicken reggie pizza. I want to thank everybody that goes to Utica Pizza Company weekly in support of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and Dan Tortora Broadcast Media LLC in general and everywhere you go in support of what I do. I want to thank you. Because I only work with companies that I want to send people to. That I feel comfortable and good about. If I don't feel comfortable about you or good about your service or your food or your quality, then we're not working together. I don't take money for the sake of money. I work with businesses that I genuinely spend my hard-earned money at. So if I'm going to do that, I'll tell you to go to those places. But I'll never tell you to go to a place that I won't go to. Because it's not who I am. So, you know, with that being said, Utica Pizza Company is a phenomenal place to go to any day of the week. 628 South Main Street in North Syracuse, New York, in the Mains Plaza, across from Sweetheart Corners. It is a wonderful place to go to if you want to go somewhere before your flight. If you want to go somewhere... When you fly into Syracuse and you want really good, authentic, wonderful local food, Utica Pizza is two minutes from the airport. And then if you're living in Liverpool, North Syracuse, East Syracuse, Syracuse, anywhere, Utica Pizza Company is worth the drive. Down the street, 20 minutes away, half an hour away, 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away. The number one pick for wake-up call is the Chicken Reggie Pizza. Because I love their pizza and I love their chicken reggies. So we decided to make a baby out of it. And the owner, Phil Russo, said, well, you like our riggies, so why don't you just put the riggies on the pizza? So we did that. And the wake-up call number one pick is available by the slice or the pie. Make sure you call ahead if you want a slice. Call to Utica Pizza Company, 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. For Utica Pizza Company, let them know ahead of time if you're coming in for two slices 
let them know so they can make that chicken riggy pizza fresh. Because it is a specialty pizza and is my number one pick. So make sure you call if you want it. And make sure you call today, 315-214-3060, for pickup, delivery, or dine-in at Utica Pizza Company. And I want to thank them for phenomenal food that I had with my wife, my mom, and a good friend of the family just a few days ago. So thank you so much for that to Phil and Charlie and the entire team. God bless you all. Well, Ingredients to Success brought to you by Utica Pizza Company and the Travel Utica Pizza Company, which is their giant restaurant on wheels, essentially. It's a Utica thing. They can come right to your business or your events, set up right outside, and you choose the menu. So me, I'd have chicken riggy pizza. I might have the eggplant rollatini pizza. And then... And then I might, I'll probably have Utica Greens and uh, Utica Style Wings. That would be my menu. Put them right outside, come outside, and there, the, there they are right in front of you. They were at Italian Fest. They've been all over the place. And I thank them for all their hard work and everything that they have done. So make sure you go out there and try Utica Pizza Company. 315-214-3060. And on 628 South Main Street in North Syracuse, right by Sweetheart Corners, inside of the Mains Plaza, right there by Applebee's. Go over to Utica Pizza Company and support your local beautiful, wonderful restaurant. I mean, there's so many good things I could say about it. They have indoor and outdoor seating, and with our beautiful weather that we didn't expect in September, you can go hang out outside as well, so make sure you do that. Shout out to Utica Pizza, and it's a Utica thing. Today's ingredients to success is going to have to do with the last two games that we're discussing in the wall-to-wall NFL coverage. First, Green Bay at Atlanta. The Atlanta offense is virtually unstoppable. If Atlanta decided to play any type of defense in the second half, they would have won another Super Bowl. And the first one since the Dirty Bird and Jamal Anderson. However, didn't happen. The Atlanta Falcons are in a position right now where they are just dictating games. Simply dictating games. And when you look back on history and you look back on the Atlanta Falcons, Last year, they became one of the, they were the third highest offense in the history of the NFL in production ever. Not the third highest last year, they were the third highest ever, ever in the NFL. How insane is that? How insane is that? The Falcons have never won the Super Bowl. They went bad. They went to the Super Bowl with the Dirty Bird and Jamal Anderson went up against John Elway and the Broncos, but didn't win. This one up against the New England Patriots was by far one of the worst games I've ever watched with my eyes in 31 years of my life. With these two hazel eyes, I sat and watched that debacle, and I was like, this game's got to be rigged, because how is somebody this bad? 
So ingredients to success for Atlanta, keep rolling. Keep playing four quarters. Keep doing what you need to do. Atlanta didn't score in the fourth quarter, but they took care of the beginning of the game. They went up against Aaron Rodgers, who had 343 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick, but they still won the game, and they won by 11. And Aaron Rodgers' output, a lot of this stuff coming later on in the game when Aaron Rodgers was trying to resurrect the team. As far as running the ball, 59 yards allowed by Atlanta. Keep your defense strong. You have Julio Jones. Mohamed Sanu is finally waking up. You have Devontae Freeman, who's playing well despite getting that big money contract. Tevin Coleman, who's playing pretty well as a backup to Devontae. Your usual suspects are scoring. Your ingredients to success, play four quarters and play defense. Play all four quarters, and Atlanta, do not ever forget to play strong defense. Because you can outscore many, but don't use that as a crutch, as Syracuse did against Pittsburgh last year. Johnny said, even in the Green Bay game, they came out red hot in the first half. Second half, they were a different team. I mean, they were still good, but nothing like what we saw in the first half. Could this be an issue for the rest of the season? Definitely. The ingredient to success for Atlanta is to be a four-quarter team. Who plays defense? You're listening to the show and you're going, Dan, isn't every team supposed to play four quarters and play defense? Yes. But this is an analysis of a team, specifically the Atlanta Falcons. They have to play four quarters and they have to play defense. Atlanta, for some odd reason, comes out guns blazing, and the war's not over, and they put the guns away, and they start just, like, firing slingshots. Granted, their slingshots are on target, but the guns were doing a lot better in the first half. You cannot take your foot off of the neck of the, t- of the adversary. You cannot. You cannot. I'm not saying put your foot on somebody's neck. This is figurative. Only figurative. I will never be pro-violence. The Atlanta Falcons' ingredients of success that they seem to not play with is they don't have that killer mentality for four quarters. And they need to have it. Proudly brought to you by Utica Pizza Company and ingredients of success. I picked Green Bay in this game. Thought it would be a high-scoring game. There was 57 points scored between the two teams, but Green Bay didn't start until later in the game. Green Bay was a fourth-quarter team. Atlanta was a first-half team. Because Green Bay didn't play the first half well offensively, nor did they do it in the third quarter, that is why we are where we are. Atlanta played a team that didn't play four quarters, so Atlanta got away with it. But if there was a fifth quarter in this game, Aaron Rodgers might have got those 11 points come right back. Atlanta has to close games out, play four quarters, keep their foot on the neck, and move the heck forward. Those are your ingredients to success for the Atlanta Falcons. I don't think anybody will fight me on that one. More words coming in. Do you think it's a mental thing because they go up by so much in the first half that they kind of drop back playing as hard, or is it a conditioning problem? They need to be careful. I'm not saying this as being a homer, but their next game is against Detroit in Detroit. We all know Detroit plays four quarters. Matt Stafford doesn't give up until the clock says zero. Right. Right. Absolutely. 
the Atlanta Falcons have to play four quarters. Do I think it's a mental thing? You know, I don't think it's necessarily conditioning. But very well be could a mental thing. A self-inflicted mental wound. Right? We're just good. You know, we're good. We did what we needed to do. We can get away with anything. So, let's not go 100% in the second half. Let's save some of our energy, not get injured. Let's save some of, of what we got going on for another day. If that's going to be the case, take your starters out. But you have to play four quarters. That is the biggest ingredient to success for Atlanta. They are 2-0 and this year. But they're coming off of a Super Bowl that they should have won. Everything pointed to them winning the Super Bowl. Everything. There are no excuses. So, you know the ingredients to success, Atlanta. Proudly brought to you by Utica Pizza Company. I suggest you follow them. I chose Green Bay, so I got that one wrong. Detroit at the Giants. I chose Detroit on the road in this one because the Giants are just... They're just a hazard. The Giants are a choking hazard. They're like a toy for children. Eli Manning, one touchdown, one interception, 22 completions, 10 incompletions, 239 yards. That's okay for a backup quarterback. Shane Vereen, again, if you have anybody on the rushing attack for the Giants, I'm going to ask you for the 87th time, why? <laughs> why? Why? Paul Perkins, 7 carries, 10 yards, 1.7 yards a carry. Shane Vereen, 6 carries, 28 yards. A respectable 4.7 yards a carry, but 28 yards. Orleans Darqua, only 17 yards, yet 5.7 yards a carry. 62 total yards on 18 carries if you include Sterling Shepherds. 2 carries as a receiver, 4, 7 yards. If you have a running back on the New York Giants... My question to you is why? Giants rush defense, allow or lack thereof, allowed 138 yards rushing to Detroit. Amir Abdullah is healthy for two weeks of the season. Get it, Amir. I hope he stays healthy for the rest of his life. Rest of his career. I've been waiting for him to be healthy for, for forever and a day. So good for him on this one. 86 yards on the ground, 5.1 yards per carry. More than half of the yards for Detroit on the ground. So, could be worth the play for you, especially if Atlanta's not going to play a lot of defense in week three. Eric Ebron got a touchdown in this game, leading receiver for 42 yards, caught all five of the passes thrown his way. Marvin Jones only caught one pass, got a touchdown, though. Marvin Jones scored in back-to-back -back weeks to start the season. Cincinnati did absolutely nothing since coming to Detroit. Look at them now. One touchdown in both of the first two weeks. Worth the play. And Evan Engram, what did I just tell you? I told you in preseason, pick up Evan Engram. Fantasy, pick up Evan Engram. Wildcat drafts for fantasy football at the Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, 3680 Milton Avenue. I told you, Evan Engram. What did I just say this morning? Evan Ingram. 
leading receiver for the Giants because Eli likes his tight end. 49 yards, targeted more than anybody else seven times. One touchdown in the game, the only receiving touchdown for the team. How about this? Odell Beckham Jr. had five targets. Evan Ingram had seven. Sterling Shepard had four. Evan Ingram had seven. Brandon Marshall had five. Evan Ingram had seven. If you have anybody on the Giants right now that's not named Evan Engram or backup quarterback Eli Manning, drop the heck out of those players. Maybe keep Sterling Shepard. But Brandon Marshall has been so awful. He's playing in the same friggin' stadium that he resurrected his career in. He's playing with the Jets. Then he's playing with the Giants. He resurrected his career with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Eli Manning's a two-time Super Bowl winner both times over the Patriots, and this friggin' guy, Brandon Marshall, is doing nothing. One catch for 17 yards. He'd be on my practice squad right now. Golden Tate's being Golden Tate, four catches for 25 yards. I knew he would be inconsistent, because he's always been. Kenny Galladay, this was a surprise of the week. One catch, eight yards, three targets. That was ugly. The tight ends had fun in this game. Matty Stafford, two touchdowns, no picks. Bad, but bad offensive outing for Matty Stafford. 122 yards, it was bad. Eli Manning at 239. Almost doubled it. Almost doubled the output of Matt Stafford. But he was mistake-free. Ingredients to success for the Giants? Go get Adrian Peterson. And... Trade away Brandon Marshall and get yourself an offensive lineman. You have more than enough receivers. Let one of them go. Go get an o- Ingredients to Success, probably brought to you by Utica Pizza Company. And it's a Utica thing, which is Utica Pizza Company of 628 South Main Street in North Syracuse on wheels. Get yourself an offensive lineman. Trade for Adrian Peterson. You gotta figure it out, Giants. You look awful. You look like you've seen better days. Evan Ingram's their best option. Orleans Darkwa should be their starting running back at this point. He had the most yards per carry. So, and we had another message come in. This one's from Johnny. What do you say? I don't know the people are giving Detroit's defense enough credit right now. I mean, look at what they did to David Johnson, last year's rushing leader. They held them to bare minimum, and last night they were dominant once again. Yes, it was against the poor offensive line, but they're playing very well right now. I'm getting fired up over here. I can tell, Johnny. Freaking out of your mind. If the team goes 3-0, and I'm going to have to get you a heart monitor. But the Giants suck. I mean, they're bad. Is that okay to say on the radio? I think it is. Let me check with my boss. Hey, Dan, do you approve? Yeah, I approve. Okay. Yeah, we're, are we good? Yeah, buddy, that's fine. All right, cool. The Giants' offense is... It's so bad. 
Eli Manning is a good quarterback because he's still putting up respectable fantasy numbers, but that offense sucks. How do you have Brandon Marshall, Sterling Shepard, Evan Engram, and Odell Beckham Jr., and you can't figure out how to get any of those guys 100 yards? Are you friggin' kidding me? And yeah, shout out Detroit. Their defense has been pretty damn good in the first couple weeks. But what in the F, Giants? What are you doing? Your offensive line is not helping. Your rushing attack is obsolete. Your receivers are strong on paper. Ingredients to success for the Giants. Trade for Adrian Peterson and go get yourself an offensive lineman. Beg and plead. Give up a second round pick. I don't care. But do not embarrass yourself for 16 weeks. You do not have what you need. Go get an offensive line. And if someone will take Brandon Marshall, let them take him. He will retire shortly. He's not going to play for seven more years. And Odell Beckham Jr., here's an ingredient to success. How about you focus on football? Number two ranked wide receiver for fantasy football going into the season in my ranker. But you know what I don't like about Odell Beckham Jr.? Character. Focus. Locked in. Yeah, Odell, you're a good player, but guess what? You're not consistent. So you can buy into your own hype, but I'm not sitting here putting you on. If I have my fantasy roster in front of me, and I have Odell Beckham Jr. or Martavis Bryant, guess who I'm playing? It doesn't rhyme with Beckham. I would take a second string wide receiver. Second fiddle. Over Odell Beckham Jr. I take Sterling Shepard over Odell right now. I play Evan Engram over Odell right now. The ingredients to success for the Giants is that this coach needs to get this team focused. They need to pull in the reins. Tom Coughlin left and the wheels fell off. Gee, I wonder who else that happened to in the past. Maybe a team called Jacksonville, who's now got him back. And Danny, they're one and one. Yeah, it's going to take some time. But Tom Coughlin, psh, you haven't been in the locker room like I have. You haven't been around that stadium like I have. You have not seen the people in the organization like I have. There is a change in the air, and it is called Tom Coughlin. When he left Jacksonville, they fell apart. He left the Giants, they fell apart. He's back with Jacksonville, and they are hoping to Jesus that they will rise again with Tom Coughlin. Rise again with Tom Coughlin. That can make it rhyme. So those are your ingredients to success. I hope that they listen. That is today's show, folks. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. On tomorrow's broadcast, I have a lot of surprise guests for you. It is going to be jam-packed, fun, and exciting. I cannot wait. Join me for an extensive conversation with Syracuse living legend, Broncos living legend, community living legend, and a longtime friend of mine, Floyd Little. He will be joining the show tomorrow to discuss Syracuse 
the NFL, and the massive topics affecting our country. We're going on the field and off the field with Floyd Little for a conversation worthy of a 2020 special. Floyd Little will join me tomorrow morning. Guess who else is coming on the show? Some kid called Buddy Beheim, who just made it official that he's going to Syracuse. He basically almost pretty much made it official twice on Wake Up Call. He's coming back for the third time, and we're going to talk about the opportunity for him and his dad to be at Syracuse together and leave Syracuse together. That's all coming up on tomorrow's broadcast. Buddy Beheim, Floyd Little, and so much more. I'll talk with you at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, September 20th, right here on MixLR.com backslash DT. In the meantime, download the Wake Up Call broadcast on the RSS feed on WakeUpCallDT.com, as well as on the iTunes podcast and on the Wake Up Call DT show app powered by Podbean. You can also become a member on MixLR.com backslash DT. Follow me on Twitter at CallDT, Instagram at DanTortora Media, and on Facebook at WakeUpCallDT. And, of course, come out and see me at sales this this Wednesday, pardon me, at 7 p.m., 41 East Genesee Street in Baldwinsville. And come out and see me this Thursday, 7 p.m., at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, right on the Seneca River for game show night at Manja Italian Grill. God bless Be well. I love you all. And as always, be good to one another. Travel safe. Be well. Be healthy. Be happy. And don't ever let anybody take from you what is rightly yours, which is your happiness, your wellness, and your well-being and your health. I will talk with you very soon. And in the meantime, I hope you have a blessed day.